Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey, Aaron Peter, and Matt Brutzone. Hello folks, welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, it's a show about weirdos, doggone it. My name is John Boy, I am your host, John Francis Fahey. The name is Boy, John Boy. Joining me as ever is the pinnacle and perfection of perversion, Michelangelo's Dake Duke. Take a uh, Duke? Take a Duke. David Duke. Take a Duke on me. Michelangelo's David Duke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Covney. <laughs> Covney. David Duchovny. Angel, uh, Aaron Joseph Pete, how are you? I am uh, I'm here. Good. Oh, God. It's great when you can be here. <sighs> and uh, I'll be here until uh, further notice. <laughs> A strong statement. Good. Hey, so, get used to it. <laughs> now, to my right, my left is Noma the Submariner, because <laughs> you're from Boston, Massachusetts. Noma. Yeah, Noma the Submariner. Oh, that's good. I'd like to see that. Noma. Noma the Submariner. <laughs> you didn't say his name. It's Matt Rousseau. Matt Rousseau. Oh, Rousseau. Yeah. Hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? You like Noma Garcia Para? Yeah, you know, he was fun. He was a good player, huh? Yeah, he had a, he had a pretty good run. Yeah. And then he uh, married Mia Hamm. Also, That's so, right. Also a pretty good run. Also a great athlete. Mm-hmm. I don't know who any of these people are. No, man, I got Sierra Pera. He was on the Red Sox when uh, when they mm-hmm. were losing all of their rivalry games to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And then the last season, he was with the Red Sox. He didn't play much, and they won the World Series. Yeah. Um, out of sight. But yeah. And then he uh, married Mia Hamm of uh, mm-hmm. the women's Olympic soccer team. Yes. Oh, yes. lovely. Yeah. Yeah, arguably America's greatest soccer player ever. Really? Yeah. Wow. Shit. What about Alexi Lalas? He was fine. Huh. Alexi? It's the only one I got. <laughs> um, Fair. So uh, you, you, we uh, we didn't have an episode last week, I don't think, because Matt was out of town. We might not have one next week because Aaron's out of town. Um, but we're knocking them out for you here, right here, right now. No, we're trying to bang them out, baby. Watching the world wake up from history. Um, I I'm just burping. Mike. I uh I what? Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you boys about George Orwell. I'm familiar with the gentleman. The G Man. It is the only uh it is the only author I've read everything by. Everything. Even the one where he talks about how much he loves his wife's farts. That's James Joyce. That's James. <laughs> Uh, I think I think there's diaries that are available, but not not to uh, you know. It's a, a man's diaries, dude. Don't a, a lowly pleb <laughs> like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some biographers, you know, they do that shit. See, um, the, the, the diary, the diaries they don't go by diaries by George Orwell. Yeah, yeah. It's like here's the shit I never thought anybody would read. Uh, or, yeah, or I don't know. I think it's. I, I think back then it was like for posterity. It was kind of mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, like dear diary, and a lot of it was um, dear me, dear the rats. You know, yeah, a big love of. Ornithology and stuff like that. Would, that, would, that stuff would be in in the diaries. No, like, that's ju- fun. Uh, just as much stuff. Um, you know, a uh, guy that grew up English countryside. Um, what he turn, what he deemed to be lower upper class. Um, it was his was his family. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. like um, by the time he came around, like his grandfather, I think, had uh, owned slaves in Jamaica. Um, but that mm. money wasn't really there anymore. Mm. Um, and. You know, the public schools are the ones you want to go to. 
um, and you know, at that time, uh, and private schools are like you know, kind of all you can afford. Where was he born and raised? He was actually born in India. Uh huh. Mm. Um, but he was. I think he moved back from there with his sister when sure. he was just a year old. But at that, I mean, it was part of the Commonwealth. Yes, uh, and his dad was, um, uh, you know, uh, in the opium department. Hey, actually, that's yeah. a good department to be oh, in. Oh yeah, I mean, so, some people are in like artillery. I, I didn't really know about all that, which is that basically it was like under fire because they were like, "Hey, Whoa. this this shit's uh, out of control." Um, and then the it was like shut it down, and then the British were like, "Well, we'll regulate it." Right. So you know what that means? Like, uh, we'll make sure we get paid. Yeah, yeah, we'll take our cut. Um, these are cut of the. China. And there was like you know the uh, opium wars with China and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Using that as a weapon. And how does that fit with it? Like, this, is that before the Secret Wars? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in between Secret Wars one and two, there uh -huh. was the Opium Wars, uh -huh. where just like everybody in the whole Marvel universe was just lying on their side. Yeah, cool. in Chinatown. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Shang Chi was running shit. <laughs> yeah, his um. So his, you know, his dad was uh uh. Well, first of all, his name is Eric Blair. It is not George Orwell. Uh, George was chosen because uh, the patron saint of uh, England, and Orwell was just uh, a river where he enjoyed fishing. Huh. Um, Neat. I I have to think also it, it could be something along well, because his his favorite author as a child was H.G. Uh, Wells. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know which made so much sense to me later. You know I I was like I was like of course yeah, yeah. you know because you know he doesn't go hard sci-fi. Um, but no, the, but it is kind of Elseworld stuff. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, and definitely some horror. He's got fucking talking animals for Christ's sake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think I think shortly before well no, we'll get into that later, um, but yeah uh, so he he ate up you know the the time traveler especially uh, from from Wells from um, the time machine the time machine excuse me from from H G Wells and I mean you know he the time traveler was in yeah. the time machine yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, like that you love his wife <laughs> uh, and. Um, so yeah, he 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 grows up, you know, um, very much, uh, you know, a kid out in the woods playing around. Um, he he's you know got a couple close friends. Uh, he's a, a, you know a, a little bit of a weirdo. Uh, mm -hmm. Spends a lot of time alone. Um, there was a neighboring family called uh, the Buttercombs out in uh, just you know rural English, like nice home out in the middle of nowhere. And there's just he you know he grew up uh, shooting rabbits. Um, he would breed caterpillars. Um, he, uh, you know, was was in, into birds and you know flora fauna, like you know, just really into nature type yeah. kid. Um, fishing, you know, uh, like and just enjoying that like English countryside yeah. pastoral lifestyle. Mm. And so I think yeah. I think in the first twelve years, like it's like occasionally he sees his dad when he comes home from working in India, uh -huh. you know. Um, but he's pushed really hard schooling. And uh, he's, you know, he, he's got to, you know, get into a good school, but he is really smart and um, he works really hard. And he kind of gets, you know, to the first, um, you know, private uh, boarding school, you know, and he kind of sees like immediately like stepping out of line, like him and the kids uh, that are there because they're smart to make the school look good. Not because they have rich parents. Mm. They get hit, <sighs> and the rich kid's parents get like a, 
Come on now, boy. We don't want to be doing that. Mm, maybe right. maybe yeah, a tap yeah. of the pencil and uh, <laughs> sort of thing is yeah. on now. There's a lot of pulls, a lot of weight around here. Yeah. Don't want to be one of those boys. Yes. Yeah, but they would just, they would fucking get their asses handed to them. You know what I mean? Um, you, uh, you know, like, it's always great when, when the, the, the hitting the child implement breaks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It only makes know, them angrier. Just to, yeah. just to really show how hard they're actually hitting these children. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he had stuff like that. And, um, Came home and like yeah, like I said, like he has like this neighboring uh, family, kind of like you had growing up, mm-hmm. where like he likes the sister, but he's friends with the brothers and like mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. You know, that's the the Budicoms. and uh, Jacinta uh, Budicom, She was the one that was like, uh, she she like I came upon him and he was uh, standing on his head, mm. and she goes, uh, she said, why are you upside down? And he goes, people tend to notice you more. No, oh. <laughs> so you know. A little bit of an odd boy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Something of an odd chap, I'd say. Mm, yes, I'd say it was working, yes, Jacinta? Yes. Hit him with the ruler. And so, you know, he's he's kind of got like um, you know, uh you know, one of those like house you know, keeper type uh servants. Yeah. Uh well he's also kind of like uh servants, servant, people yeah. servants. Yeah. Yeah, but also a um what would you say, like a uh an au pair kind of thing. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but so, yeah, he comes from this kind of like, uh, you know, like I said, lower upper class, you know, like they've got money, but not sort of really, you know. Um, and you can kind of see how that's sort of weird, that it's sort of pretending, you know, and then um, that they still belong to this class, but they just barely do. Um, so he sees some hypocrisy and silliness in that. Um, he sees like the hypocrisy and silliness. In um, the way the kids are treated at that at that private boarding school, and then he goes to uh, Eton, Eton, mm. Eton, mm. Eton. Is this? Yes. Is it E T O N? Yes. Okay. I could be wrong. And um, you know he he he's he's been writing like poetry since he's like five or six. Like he's he's into writing right away. He kind of knew right off the bat I'm going to be a writer. Hmm. You know, um, but he's you know. He's got to, um, you know, go through with everything and, uh, you know. Uh, He's got to have some shit to write about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can't just be standing on your head all yeah, day. Yeah, you can't just be writing about fucking caterpillars. Yeah. Right. And, um. I, guess you I mean, if you're, his, if you're a caterpillar. His mom was, like, a, a pretty pretty socialite. So she was, like, often gone, too. So I think it was, like, you know, a fend-for-yourself kind of household for these kids. And, um. Did he have uh, siblings, did you say? Yes, he had a sister five years younger and I think uh, one. Oh, shit, she might have been. As much as five years older, hmm. yeah. Um, ah, the middle child, always the yes, always the, the one the, who acts out. The younger one was Av- her name was Avril. I, I don't remember the, the name of the older one as much. Um, he, he seems to be eventually closer with Avril, um, but yeah. Um, he so he's you know he he kind of likes this girl Jacinta that he grows up next to, and uh, I don't. Uh, he, he was remarked to be an unattractive child. Um, so I think uh, during his adolescence, he maybe had some some uh, clumsy come-ons to the close girls, and they were like, no thanks. But they always still wanted to know him and be friends with him. And that seems to be like a, like a thing that would kind of keep throughout, because they were like, well, he, he was always very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, when he gets to Eaton, everybody said um, he clearly thought for himself. He argued about everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, he seemed to win them all. Mm-hmm. Um but he was definitely not going with the flow sort of thing. I think after, you know, the, the first private school thing and, and then he was just kind of disillusioned. 
Um, so then he he just spoke up more, and um, you know, uh, he's you know got this this uh, um, I think during his time there he's able to avoid the First World War, right? Uh, he's just sort of in school then, um, and you know he he's coming out of it and. Uh, he decides he wants, uh, you know, he, he's he got some, you know, because of his family sister, some romantic idea of, of uh, a colonial India. Mm-hmm. So he decides to go. And that is, uh, that is definitely the beginning of, of uh, the shattering of illusions. Yeah. Um, and, and then yeah. that doesn't really go away. Yeah. It seems like it's a, it's a good age to, uh, you're kind of open to that. Yeah, it's also your early twenties. Yeah, like you're yeah. you're gonna be like, what the fuck? It's all bullshit. Yeah, you know, like of course you are. Yeah. You know, um, time to become a nihilist. But he said he said he's on on the ship there. Um, he the on on the ship the the petty officers who he said he looked up to as godlike beings. <laughs> he said he saw one of them like stealing half a custard off the, off like the civilians' table and scouring away like a rat to eat it, and he realized like. Oh God! Like all all this sort of pomp and circumstance, and this guy is starving. Yeah, this guy can't wait to get his hands on some yeah. custard, half-eaten custard. Yeah, and, you know the godlike being. It turns out can't afford to eat, mm-hmm. and so then he's kind of like, oh, something's wrong with the way everything's presented. Yeah, right. And so then, um, you know, he's 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 doing the uh, the, the 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 you know uh, the policing in uh, in in Burma. And uh, he has a thing like where um, when you say he's doing the policing in Burma, he signed up for like some kind of yeah a yeah. job yeah, and he had you know family ties through right. through their history there, um, so he's able to get a job fairly easily. And um, he's a young man, but immediately he sees that uh, the class uh, of of the imperial police are are uh, very much racist, yeah. look down on on the natives, um, and so he goes and he he like he'll attend like. Uh, like native religious ceremonies and like he doesn't stay in like the clubhouses mm-hmm. with the fucking who he deems to be the snobs and he immediately decides like imperialism is fucked <laughs> like this yeah. shit is fucked up and i'm sure they were they hate they didn't like him oh yes yeah. so he he was very much odd man out yeah. and so i think when he wrote burmese days um he, he you know he, he's always vaguely the main character in all of his books right um in this one he gives himself a huge burks mark on the middle of his face mm. um but yeah, it's just a guy that's like disillusioned with his time, you know, seeing that it's all bullshit. And the novel was just a way for him to, you know, r- write out everything that he saw that was wrong and how it was all bullshit and uh, the hypocrisies of the classes and all of that just starts coming into laser focus for him. And it seems like that is sort of the mainstay of his work, um, at least in novel format, it is just... Um, not even really in, in some of the nonfiction stuff too, but just like uh, pretense and, and, and appearance of class yes. with no wealth behind it, especially and the carrying on as if you're better than others when, uh, and then and then how that's exploited by people in power. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, did you did you um, was there was there anything when he was a kid? You know what what, what were some of his other than H.G. Wells? Do you know was any other? Uh, yeah, um, he, uh, you know, I, I honestly know more of his contemporaries that he enjoyed, because okay. that, that's a great generation of writers, okay, too. Okay, okay. Um, 
But yeah, when it's like when it's his generation later, it's like Steinbeck mm-hmm. and uh, you know, um for a time he was actually taught French by Aldous Huxley. Oh wow. <laughs> uh and, and Brave New World came out in nineteen thirty two, don't yeah, forget. And everybody compare everybody always kind of lumps together nineteen eighty four and Brave New World yeah, together. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, um sister books. Yeah. Um, which is totally reasonable. Very different dystopias on display. Yes. Uh but both definitely cautionary tales and both yeah. great 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 reads. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, uh there's no avoiding Dickens. Sure, sure, yeah. You yeah, know, Dick, totally right, right. Dickens he wrote, I mean, some incredibly incredibly beautiful things about later. Um because um you know, it, it's wild like later in life, uh he sustained a, a lot of a lot of stuff even as he was getting famous, um, more writing work came in because he was getting famous. So he kept writing, writing, writing. And a lot of that was just reviewing books. Oh, interesting. And okay. so, like, yeah, he gets he gets to to review uh, his contemporaries' books and and uh, and his like friends, and then you know uh, talk about some of the greats and stuff. So you get to hear a lot about his, his literature takes. Okay. Um, one thing I don't think that survives, which is a bummer, um, which I would like to double check if, if I don't know if we can, but um, is that no, no recording of him survives. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, which is kind of baffling because uh, yes. he, he he was doing um, uh, BBC dispatches for India during the Second World War for like two years. Hmm. Like, there's pictures of him with BBC microphones and stuff. Wow. You okay. Know? Okay. Um, but so yeah, he had a thing like in Burma once where like an elephant got loose uh, <laughs> and uh, and it trashed like a marketplace. And all the locals were just like shouting for him to kill it, and so he talks about like killing the elephant just because he felt like he had to, stuff like that. You know, um, he talks about you know, um, some, you know the crime of someone getting hanged, um, and uh, he, he just he, he just has like a, a very very bad takeaway from the way these people are interfering in these people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so he uh, he comes home, I I believe. Um, Comes home, I believe, after maybe serving five years. Um, in and, Burma, and, yeah, and he's also he's also uh, begun writing, you know, the Burmese days and um, Burmese days. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was nineteen twenty-seven. He's okay. coming home writing Burmese days, and um, he leaves on the mustache, which was like British soldiers often had the mustache. Yes, sure, and. Um, he came home and he just uh, stays kind of uh, uh, quiet at his parents' house, which is in uh, Southwold. And um, he was considered by his friends at that time to be a small C conservative anarchist um, because he still retained, um, you know, uh, in his social circles, the uh, arguing about everything kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a thing where, you know, um, he was. A little bit of a small group of friends type of guy, like a big, you know, group didn't really do that for him. Uh, but um, yeah, he kept, you know, a, 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 he was a lively dinner guest. Was kind of like sure. the thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, an anarchist uh, would be. You know, yeah, to, yeah, and probably would avoid large groups. <laughs> well, the, the, and, and 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 the reason they they said Tory, uh, small C, C conservative, was yeah. uh, because. He still had just a great love of things British. Right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but but uh, uh, low taxes, but burned down the government. 
Because they can't charge taxes uh, when they're burned down. Well, it's a funny thing, too, because, you know, um, he, he becomes so, like, um, against um, industry and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. That you, like, it's the thing where you go to conserve, <laughs> conservative, you know, it's like, it's like a thing where you go, like, uh, later on, you know, he'll retire just to, like, a Scottish Isle where, like, he's got, like, he's, yeah. like, he's, uh. like, he's, like, if you're coming here, like... <laughs> We're eating what's off the island. I hope like, you like caterpillar stew. <laughs> or, yeah, I was like, it's shot rabbit, and and uh, you know maybe some spinach if we got it in the garden. You know, like who's to say? And um, so then he he would do uh the beginnings of of uh you know um he would go out to the rougher parts of London alone, and people. Would would notice the Eaton accent, ah, and they'd be like, "Oh, what's his problem, mate?" You know, and, <laughs> hey, bro. Yeah, and uh, but it, it was like the beginning of his immersion in into the 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 poor classes, which he really wanted to get into, and um, so yeah, he started going native in England, uh, and there were other journalists that had kind of done this before, but he he was the one that um, in uh. What would later uh, he would later do uh, the road to Wigan Pier, um, that was focusing on uh, the north, the coal mines, mm-hmm. all that shit, how people lived there, how the wages were, all that sort of stuff. But what he's doing now is the beginnings of what's going to be uh, down and out in Paris and London. Mm, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, uh, you mentioned Dickens, and and um, you know, Dickens did a tour of the U.S. where he basically kind of did something like that too. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, this seems to be like that's a that was a one thing a, a, an author could do it at the time, and still today, I suppose. Yeah, um, it was it was especially for the English. Staying with your class was so de rigueur mm-hmm. that it was well, like it's French. But... People would be like, "What the fuck? What?" Well, mm-hmm. no wonder it's no wonder they fucking loved having a stranglehold on India. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, with the a caste system. Like, these savages, I say, they've got one thing right. Oh, yeah. It stays in the station. Well, it's a thing here where he goes headlong into that, in, in, in this thing, where um, he, he goes, um, uh, and I think he has an aunt over there on his mother's side. His mother was French. Um, his aunt is uh, Nelly Limousine. <laughs> this is my limousine? Yeah. <laughs> no, this is your aunt. <laughs> uh, and I think he, he was staying with her and he went back and all of his money had been stolen out of his flat. And then he just got a job uh, washing dishes in a, uh, a Paris hotel, a Parisian hotel. And then he saw how bad that is. He goes, that was the one job where it was every race of, of, mm-hmm. of Earth, right? The plongeurs. Um, and it's a luxury hotel. And first of all, you find out how fucking disgusting everything is in a luxury hotel yeah. because the humans <laughs> yeah. are treated like worse than animals. Mm-hmm. You, mean, you mean the the staff or do you staff? Mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and the divisions among the staff in class are equally as um, just baffling and and and, and sort of like uh, deliberately. Uh, giving you better station than you than you really have against others, like uh, uh, a, a very real divide and conquer, right? Um, which uh, he lays out very very well, um, and of course he's just kind of going like, well, "This is all fucking bullshit," <laughs> you know. Um, uh, he's told uh, when he shows up that he, he has to shave off his mustache. Oh, no. Only chefs are allowed to have mustaches. Mm. <laughs> 
Just little, <laughs> that's, little, that's how you know who the little chef poxy said. bullshit like yeah. that, right? Yeah. And it's the maitre d telling him. The major D's probably have what a thinner mustache. Yeah, they have that little like, little pencil. Yeah, the pencil thing. So yeah, this thing yeah. yeah, he goes. The highest is the maitre d. He did not serve at the table, but directed the other waiters and helped with the catering. He was in a position quite apart from the rest of the staff and took his meals in a private room. Mm. Next, the head cook drew about five thousand francs a month. He dined in the kitchen, but at a separate table, and one of the apprentice cooks waited on him. Mm. Then came the chef de personnel. He drew only 1,500 francs a month, but he wore a black coat and did no manual work. Good deal. It is an instructive sight to see a waiter going into a hotel dining room. All in the dirt and hurry and irritation have dropped off in an instant. He glides over the carpet with a solemn priest-like air. <laughs> the waiter's outlook is quite different. His skill is chiefly in being servile. His work gives him the mentality of a snob. He lives perpetually in sight of rich people. <laughs> the result is that the waiter comes to identify himself to some extent with his employers. Right. Um, also maids, laundry women, cafe managers, cellarmen, bellhops, warehouse clerks, porters, ice cream vendors, bakers, night watchmen, doorkeeper. The plongeurs were of every race in Europe. We of the cafeteria were very dregs of the hotel. We were stuck down in the kitchens where there reigned a nauseating stench of swill and sweat. <sighs> Everywhere in those cupboards were squalid stores of food that the waiters had stolen. It was nothing unusual for a waiter to wash his face in the water which clean crockery was rinsing. Oh, Christ. In the dining room sat the customers boring, in all their splendor, spotless tablecloths, bowls of flowers, mirrors, and gilt cornices, and painted cherubim. Had no idea that they got Francois's ball sweat <laughs> all over their cutlery. Yeah, exactly. Francois. Francois? Francois? Francois! 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 Uh, so then he goes back to London, and he, he just still doesn't have a pot to piss in. And he gets taken in. Um, the pissed in the sink. Yeah, I mean, at that point, that's where he learned something. He starts going to the, um, what do they call these? The DOS houses Dos. on the outskirts of London. Do How do you spell DOS? D-O-S-S. -S. They call them spikes, too. <sighs> Sounds hot. Um, it's like a BDSM club. He goes, this, this one's, um, it's, just like a, it's just a boarding house. Oh, okay. He goes, this one's obsessed with smallpox. So you see them all, all there naked. <laughs> and he goes, are, what are these blue spots, doctor? And he goes, malnutrition, nothing contagious. Uh, yes, the malnutrition's not and contagious, takes, I guess. And he another and goes, this, the tea's good here. And he goes, but they have to save your soul before they give it to you. Oh. So it's a you know, hour-long sermon. Yeah. Dispossessed. Oh, Christ, you know? yeah. Give, me, give me a Catholic wedding. And he goes, um, and the guy taking it around is Patty, and Patty's telling him, he goes, no, he goes, no need, no need for bleeding prayer, but a tea and two slices will cost you four pence. Um, and so, you know, he just goes around and he, and he sees how, you know, the, every, everybody's doing it. And, um, he's, uh, you know, I mean, just, he, he's like the, the smell <laughs> Yeah. Is the one thing you really got to get used to, and and they get worse in in different places. Yeah, you know, uh, disinfectant, uh, and then just unwashed feet in a like a house with like a million people. You know, like just like you know. And he talks very frankly about it, and he's doing it for obviously the classes that don't know about this. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, right. And uh, so then he he kind of just walks back into upper society, right, and. Um, he decides uh, I'm, you know, going to become a writer, and um, he's like, I've got a bunch of experience to draw on, you know, and uh, he goes, um, 
uh, this guy is like, I got some, you know, tutoring work for you, tutoring kids. And um, he goes, kids, should we say that are a bit backward? Oh. Right? And um, <laughs> they're a bit much. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. And he goes, and, and I've got some people, some friends that have liked uh, the pieces I've sent them that you've written. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, my God, really? And he goes, um, and he's, he's actually, they want you to come by their offices and show them a few more. And then he's like fucking like elated, you know? And uh, so he goes to this place called the Adelphi, and that is uh, very much a uh, kind of a, a you know early socialist uh, kind of uh, leftist uh, labor sort of deal. And um, is that it's a, you know the name? It's like the, from the Oracle, perhaps. Uh, or has it has it spelled Adelphi? A D E L P H I. Okay. Um. So he's he's you know um. He's he's like uh, they're like what do you what do you got coming up and he goes like I'm about to go hop picking in Kent, and that was the thing like the East End poor would all go in droves and mm. pick fucking hops for beer. No oh, shit in Kent like on mass, and it was just like a thing where it's like you know go there save up a bunch of money bring it back to London, mm-hmm. and he was like you know I'm I'm gonna do that with them you know, and um, and uh, one one of the one of the women in the office says, um, but they say you'll have to sleep in a. T- <laughs> The, and the guy says, very interesting, uh, the the editor. And, and the woman says, but they still have to sleep in a tent with foul-mouthed cockneys and dangerous gypsies. <laughs> and Orwell goes, well, that's what's so interesting. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> I'm counting on it. Why is their ma- mouth so foul? And uh, so this is then uh, the uh, the basis for uh, Clergyman's Daughter. Um, and that's, I think, the only time he has a female protagonist, mm. which, again, is still pretty much him. Mm. Uh, might be married a little bit with uh, actual, an actual clergyman's daughter that he had a thing for. Um, and the, char- the character's him, but it has awesome tits. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's she's also like a school teacher, like which is like his tutoring thing, you know. Mm. And um, right, what you know, man. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great too because like he's doing that. He's doing the hot picking journalism thing, right? He's tutoring the kids in school, and then he's also working in a bookshop. And the bookshop is the basis then for keep the Aspidistra flying, which is my favorite book by him. Mm. Um, and it's a thing where, like, you know, based on some favors, he's, he's you know, he can stay with the, the family in, their, like, one of their houses and work in the bookshop at night. And, um, you know, it's just like he's not grown up poor, and he's choosing to kind of be poor, and he's kind of being a piss pants about it. <laughs> um, Is there still family money that he could conceivably draw off of or there's there's certainly first of all just connections right. that he could draw from Matt connections um probably some white pants out there somewhere I know yeah I think it's um I think it's very much his choice right he's, he's choosing not to make a few calls um yeah but also like there's a thing there where you know uh you when you, sometimes when you do that stuff like you know the, the going native like the native like he didn't fit in with them either Right. Um, it was good if he could get like a one-on-one thing going because, like I said, that's how he did best. But he didn't fit too well with uh, groups, the uh, <laughs> the the uh, the lush society either, mm-hmm. or the, you know, the kind of uh, affluence mm. either. So basically, it was like if you were kind of a literary person and uh, definitely left-leaning, um, that would kind of be the thing that you know that would really uh, make him kind of go to you, and uh, he sort of needed to be met on some sort of an intellectual level. Huh. Uh, and you can imagine 
when someone's so like hyper aware of hypocrisy, you know, a, a lot of people are going to fall by the wayside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I, I really got to say, I do love that book. Um, I, 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 I told Richard Park, I was like, dude, you know, it's my favorite. And Richard Park pointed out the similarity in all that one to me uh, with Animal Farm in 1984, the only other two he had, he had read, mm-hmm. uh, which will come later, uh, obviously, in his career. Um, but he was just like, and so, I'm going to spoil it for you, sorry. But basically, like, there's a sellout at the end from every one of the protagonists yeah. in some way. Um, you know, for for noble or not reasons is sort of up to you, or or if it's just utter defeat, right? Um, but the one in in keep the aspiration flying, I think, is a little bit more uh, oblique, opaque. Uh, it's 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 kind of like, uh, you know, who saved who kind of thing, or who sold who out. Uh, uh. Um, but it's just a guy that's like, I either I'm gonna make money being a poet. Or I'm going to be dirt poor because I, I want anything than to be middle class. Right. You know, and the Aspidistra is a houseplant that he sees as the flag of the, of middle, the middle class. class. Yeah. Oh, okay. And he's like, I either want it to be like, you know, but. but um, I'm not settling for middle of the road. Yes. Mm-hmm. But he also knows what a burden he is because he is a brat. Yeah. Because he's borrowing money from his sister. Um, his girlfriend doesn't want to have sex with him um, until they're married. Yeesh. So he's just like. Um, and at the beginning of it, it's it's wonderful. He takes um he takes love uh, and replaces it with money in the uh, the wedding thing. And though I could move mountains, and I have not money, I am nothing. Yeah, yeah. Cha- in his vows. In his vows, he changed. Yeah, it's that, that opens that. Yeah. And um, and I was like, oh fuck, that's so fucking brilliant. Um. And there's a there's a beautiful beautiful scene uh, where he's he's got his girlfriend out for a date and, um. They're, they've been walking for so long and they're just so far from anything in this park and eventually they just come upon one of these fancy hotels and he's looking at the menu and he knows he's got no fucking money and uh, the waiter comes out and he's like oh what can I get for you sir and they're like oh waters you know he's like ah it wants them have you looked over the menu and they're going like oh we'll have the bread and he's like oh bread like, you can just tell they're poor <laughs> yeah, yeah. and there's just have excellent oh, choice the yeah, bread is yeah, fantastic yeah, men yeah. like you I know <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. an English staple sir yes. mm. bread mm. Um, now would you like any water with the bread or <laughs> yeah. separate yeah, yeah. how would you like it? Uh, off the floor if yeah. you yeah. men like you you probably turn the water into wine yeah. is it um, no, play the water is but it? it's just it's a brilliant back and forth and the misery of it is, is I, I, it was just it's one of those ones that really sticks with you and uh, the book is made into a movie um, in this country it's the only time it doesn't have the title keep that as, as yeah. just for flying it's called A Merry War but it's great because it's it's William Grant and Helena Bonham Carter doing the scene and it's just it's just my dad saw it without having read the book and he's like man I saw this fucking William because me and my dad both loved William Grant yeah and uh, he was telling me about it, and I was like, "That's fucking keep the Aspidistra flying." Right. And I looked it up, and it was the adaptation huh. of it. But um, yeah, if you've only read Animal Farm in 1984, I cannot recommend Keep the Aspidistra. I've, like I said, I've read all of the shit. Um, I would, I would say it's for me 1984. Keep the Aspidistra flying, Animal Farm, uh, Homage to Catalonia, and uh, Down and Out in Paris and London would mm. be the top five nonfiction and fiction. Mm. Um. But yeah, it's so that's so all of these things are happening at once, and he, he's he's throwing them all into different books, mm-hmm. which is fucking great. Um, and it, and and it also goes because he's he's getting denied in the book, and he's his manuscripts for these books like Burmese, as they're all getting denied. So it's like it's while he's staying in those kinds of boarding rooms, working in a bookstore, 
And there's people that already out there that already do believe in his talent, obviously, because they've passed on his stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, he just keeps sending the same manuscript to the same publishers. And eventually um, he gets a guy that is, you know, kind of a um, socialist uh, sort of uh, type, uh, you know, starting his own publishing house. And he starts putting out his shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, he was a little bit of a disguise guy, you know, when he was doing uh, these things. uh, or, or, Orwell, Orwell. Like he'd, he'd wear one outfit to the like different show. different looks, always like variations. Oh, dude, like Patches Malone. Well, like the guy, like where you got to be a bum, right? Yeah, you have to be. You know, you're down and out in Paris and London, and then you know, like dude, that is so funny. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, and uh, and he would use different aliases in the mall. And at this time, he's going like, um, you know. Which one of these should be my pen name? Right. And he didn't like his he didn't like his name specifically Eric because of some book, the titular character in some book that that's a kid that sucked yeah. named Eric. Mm. And it was South like, Park. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. The book of South Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end, it ended on on George Orwell. Uh-huh. Uh huh. plume. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, he's uh, you know. Kind of getting getting notoriety now for doing this immersive reporting, and uh, there's there's people out there that are like noticing his shit, and, and this is getting published in like periodicals. In periodicals, so, yeah. So, so he is making a bit of a living, or he's making some money, uh, or, or being he is he is writing. Yes, and that's the funny thing too is that in Keep the Expedition Flying, he talks about like his wealthy anarchist friend that has a magazine, and you're going, <laughs> and you're like, oh, which one of these guys? Yeah, yeah. Is this and you're like I'm pretty sure now that I've read the story of George Orwell yeah. I know which one it is, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the 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 thing that you know people had a hard time getting around, which is was the the line the lower classes smell, <laughs> and he was just going like that's what it is, man. And people were like just didn't want to hear it like from the rich side and, like, the socialist side. Right. But then there was, of course, some thirst for some people that were just like, tell us what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? You can't deny the reality of the thing. Too. Oh, it hurt, might hurt their feelings. That they, yeah, they're, like, they're like, we... The system sucks. There's no... Yeah. Like, what did you expect? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's becoming, you know, the, the, the Tory has been dropped. He's becoming more socialist. He's against... Um, uh, the industrialization, uh, the mechanization, uh, uh, uh... Uh, urbanization, mm-hmm. uh, all that shit that he sees as uh, things that will kind of destroy England, mm-hmm. which I think was happening globally, right? Yeah, but England was, I mean, at this point, England already led the way with the industrial, uh, you know, um, revolution and, and mechanization. What are we in the 30s now? Uh, yeah. So exactly. that, that's, a, you know, that's already happened, but the rest of the world is, is catching up and getting there. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, it's dehumanizing, right? It, and it, and you, you were able to just kind of not only replace workers with machines, you then start to see workers as cogs mm, in the sure, machine sure. Mm-hmm. and it is dehumanizing. So, yeah. um, I get, I, I see where he's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. There's some stuff where, you know, uh, he just, the observations are, are so keen sometimes where he talks about, um, you know, like when he, when he was in boarding school as like a little kid and he was like, you know, this woman that would hit me, uh, she took me to the headmaster and she's like, look at this kid, you know, uh, he, you know, he wets the bed and he goes, um, you know, then, you know, I was told basically the headmaster, you know, would beat me the next day if I wet the bed again. And he goes on the whole tirade, um, 
about how the the difference of how the upper class kids were treated or the rich kids were treated. And then um, he goes and he goes and, and that's all there is to say about it except one thing: I did not wet the bed again. <laughs> so he's kind of going like, "Yeah, this whole fucking thing is really fucked up." But here's an additional piece of information. It worked for <laughs> that's me. Un- right, un- right. undeniable. Same sort of thing where he talks about uh, the bourgeois uh, socialists, right? Where he says. Um, Look at Comrade X, member of the CPGB and author of Marxism for Infants. I have known numbers of bourgeois socialists. I have listened by the hour to their tirades against their own class. And yet never, not even once, have I met one who had picked up proletarian table manners. <laughs> <laughs> like These people, they're not going to start spitting like they do in China. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Spitting. Spitting was encouraged after, uh, after yeah. Mao. Yeah. Everybody spits. They still do. And no, they, they now they're fighting against it. They're going like, hey, the spitting's got to hey, stop. On, like, please. we have COVID and shit now. Yeah, yeah, you go to Singapore, they'll fucking beat you with a bamboo rod <laughs> if you spit on their own. Uh, some people enjoy that sort of thing. In their face? <laughs> yeah, he, and so he, you know, he, he's taking on some of these ideas, too, of, like, uh, the working class being happiest. <laughs> mm uh, because like they can have a job and they're not as burdened by uh, the upper, upper classes with worries of of class sort of thing. Yeah, um, and and the um, the burden of uh, having time to contemplate your own existence. Yeah, hmm. you know, dogs are happy because they don't know they're gonna die. They're just being dogs. Right. Um, yeah, and and they on the classes always will. They always romanticize each other. Mm-hmm. The grass is always greener as far sure, as the classes sure. go. But you know the. Um, true to form with with Orwell like because he came from that kind of lower upper he had the luxury of you know dipping his toe in that whereas it doesn't work the other way around mm-hmm. 99.9% of the time those from the lower class aren't able to just dip their toe in the upper class for shits and giggles well yeah, yeah. but I don't know uh, I don't know how much money was really left so I do think it was sort of up to him and mm-hmm. I think he had pretty much taken the choice mm-hmm. and he did really kind of just make it right oh I'm not I'm I, I, I'm aware of that, but but it didn't. It, 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 it doesn't work the other way around. Is what I'm saying is that those right. who are in the lower class don't have the ability yes. to just dip, I still make think, that choice. I do still think he could have like run back to his sister or yeah. mom or whatever you and know. asked. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's you know um, he's getting rejected by all these publishing houses, but he's still got the one socialist guy that will put out his you know articles and stuff like that, and. There's a great thing where, you know, a friend of his is talking about um, all the things he hates. And he's, he's, he's talking about, like, I hate London. He's like, all the bourgeois types and their trivial concerns. He goes, I hate labor politicians. They become capitalist lackeys without even realizing it. He goes, I hate as much the uh, black shirt fascists of Oswald Mosley. You know Oswald? Mm-mm. Oswald was the, like, from a lord's house British guy that was the biggest ally of, of fascism. In Europe, and it's really it's really funny too because like he had this huge thing during the War of Independence with Ireland where he was like t- out saying how how cruel the black and tans were to the Irish people, <sighs> demanding investigations into it and stuff. So you know when they're the British thugs on Irish soil, he's like this is a crime. But when they're fucking in black shirts on the streets of London, Sig Heiling, yeah. he's got no fucking problem with it. <laughs> yeah. A few years later. Um, and uh, he is, I followed his just because I was like, who is this fucking guy? You know, when you go on the, mm-hmm. the separate rabbit hole. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's probably worth, probably worth <laughs> yeah. a look. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine thinking for a second in Britain, like, oh, yeah, this is like, we're going to get behind this. Yeah. Like, the king is 
a fascist. Yeah, well, that, that's well, you, you know, right. <laughs> like so fancy your clothes. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah. Um, so he started the, what ultimately became um the British Fascist Party. Um, the black shirts were mm-hmm. uh you know, in Ireland it was the blue shirts. Hitler had the brown mm-hmm. brown shirts. Um. He he went he went to some of, of Oswald's uh uh speeches and stuff uh-huh. Orwell and he was going it's always these mysterious Jews that yeah. are doing everything yeah. and he's like and see, if you ask if you ask a question that mostly struggles to answer he's like you'll be fined and beaten <laughs> um, he goes but the people I hate most of all are all those drunken Scots ruling all over the colonial empire. <laughs> And he goes, let me stop you there. Your anti-Scots obsession verges on madness. (laughs) And he goes, you're right. We all have our contradictions. He goes, he goes, I also adore cats. I adore birds, but I hate cats chasing birds. (laughs) Uh, That's something that fucking uh, Orson Welles would say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love cats. I love birds. I hate cats chasing birds. Kill them. And these mysterious Jews. Log Jim, you're beating. These scouts presiding over the empire, fat and winded. No underwear under those kilts. You know that, Log Jam? You know how I know that? They're muffin tops. It's 1910. Scottish Highlands. I got an eyeful, let me tell you, friend. I was doing a play there. You ever see William Wallace bend over to pick up a golf ball? <laughs> Staring into the eye of Sauron is what it is. Bill hole in two. I'll tell you, it's not just his face that's painted blue. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's um, he ends up uh, through a friend of a friend. Um, getting introduced to this woman, uh, Eileen O'Shaughnessy. Oh, what? And, um... <laughs> O'Shag Hennessy? O'Sh- O'Shaughnessy, yeah. O'Shag Hennessy? Uh, yeah, O'Shag. And, um, this is through, uh, you know, the socialist paper that Adelphi he's, he's writing for. And- no, man, I think uh, Adelphi means brotherhood. Delphi oh, okay. is okay. the oracle at the, a place called Delphi. Right, right. But Adelphi, I think... It is Greek. That would uh, be a good name for a, that sort of newspaper. Right, right. Um, and so they have this conversation where she's going like, I'm I'm close to uh, um, uh, independent labor, which is a separate party. And he's like, that's good. He's like, they're a small party, but they're not towing the line. Right. They're the, and she goes, she goes, I hate the aristocrats around the country. And he goes, yeah, you're right. They're profiteering and they're fucking impotent and they suck. And she's like, I hate Hitler and his henchmen. And he's like, Say. yeah, he's like the fucking, this is a danger English people are not woken up to yet. And um, she's like, above all, I detest Stalin and the Soviets. Mm. And he's like, yeah, he goes, they're another kind of danger. Yeah. And so like, that's like, they're just like, bam, like right on speed. Like mm-hmm. uh, she's, you know, I guess um, from some kind of stock where there's like horse riding and stuff, you know. Oh. And uh, how'd she feel about those dirty Scotsmen? I'm sure they probably they probably got a lot of mileage out of that. Um, Cats, birds, yeah. uh, and so yeah, they they Scotsman. they you know they they were to have um, what was considered a equally matched and happy marriage. Um, I think maybe they both cheated on each other a little bit, and there was some heartache. Mm. Um, but for the most part, they were a real unit, mm. and um, they get a house. 
and uh, there's no electricity and everything. Uh, he fixes it up. He gets chickens. He gets goats. Nice. Uh, you know, he, he, he loves breeding animals and stuff. Mm. It's a real animal farm. Yeah. It is. <laughs> There's an outhouse and shit. Oh, um, but cool. he, he's like looking forward to like touching it all up and everything, and uh, <laughs> plants rose bushes and shit. Um, I love that. Mm. Um, you know, take pride in your. It's got yeah, geese. Yeah. Redoes the roof. Um, and uh, really makes a house out of a home or a home out of a house. I can't remember. Turns this house into a home. There we go. Great. You know, real bless this mess. Type of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bless this goose. And then he goes. I'm going to join the Spanish Civil War, Daddy. Now <laughs> oh, he finished the house. What's left? Uh, this is boring. Yeah. Boring. They, they said they had like, a, like just like a wonderful year there, and then he was just like, "I gotta go." He's yeah. like, "I gotta go do this," and then she's like, "All right, well, I'm going to meet you there." And um, you know, um, so this is 36. Yeah, and I thought he went to write. He never went to write. He went to just fight he on went, the side of really... So the, the Spanish Civil War was like 36 to 39. It mm -hmm. was the um, the Nationalists and the Republicans. Uh, well, that's a bit too simple. Uh, I mean, and then, but there were also other factions. There was like yes. the anarchists, yes. and then there were socialists. And then, but like the Spanish Civil War was really like a proxy war for all the competing ideologies of the world. Mm. There were Americans that like Hemingway went there, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, Hemingway yeah. fought in the in the Spanish Civil War. Irish on both sides. Yeah, uh, everybody kind of went there. Uh, it's kind of like this weird Ukraine thing going. Uh, <laughs> like it was this battleground of ideas as mm -hmm. well as a battleground of battle. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, and and he fought on the side of uh, what the anarchists. Uh, no, actually, that was that was kind of the thing he, I thought, and he he fell in love with uh, what was going on in Catalonia. Uh -huh. And everybody was just saying salute instead of, uh, you know, uh, buenos dias. And mm -hmm. um, it was, he said, you know, the barber and the guy sweeping up, everybody was equal. And he just saw, you know, he, and he, he wrote about it in Homage to Catalonia. And he talked about fighting with the, um, with, uh, uh, what was it, the IPOUM, I believe. Uh, so the, the anarchists would have been the CNT. Uh huh. Um, but then there was also another uh, uh, socialist um, faction. That was more of a straight from Stalin communism kind of thing. Um, Stalin or, or or like Leninism, like straight up Stalinist. Yeah, yeah, like like they had, um, they had. Uh, it's it's really funny because uh, the special branch in the UK, uh, because of this immersive journalism that was like seen as fomenting. The working classes against uh, the ruling classes. Uh -huh. The special branch was investigating him. It wouldn't stop until a year before he died <sighs> in the UK. And once he started making waves in Spain, Stalin started watching him for years. So I remember he was fucking paranoid in 1984. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but so, uh, yeah, it was just like a different socialist faction that he was fighting with. And, you know, um, he... Uh, you know, he, he was, it was not like a really busy one, but he was also trained as a policeman. And he's like, oh my God, mm -hmm. the soldiers are like kids. Yeah, and they let me wear a mustache whenever I want. Yeah. And they have no uh, munitions or whatever. And, he, and he's tall too, right? So like in the trenches, they're like, dude, you better get the fuck uh -huh. down, homie. Yeah. You know? Um, and he, he, he fought in, in Catalonia. Uh, yeah. I, or that's, or that's, that's the area that he found like the most like kindred spirits in. Right? Exactly, yeah. And um, so like Catalonia, like they're, they're a part of Spain where they really don't even identify as Spanish. They don't speak the same language. Correct. They kind of have their own thing going. They keep trying to secede. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. Yeah, they don't like being part of a group. <laughs> <laughs> well, except their own group. Yes. Yes. Um, let me find exactly what the difference is here between the three because it does matter insofar as um, what kind of made him uh, disillusioned with the whole thing. Mm. Um, I should also say, like, he was kind of prone to to uh, getting sick. You know, he got sick, sick like in 1929. He's also always smoking cigarettes too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know? As they all were. Um, yeah, he had fucking TB, and he was asking the nurse for a cigarette and stuff later. You know, washing his face in the ball water and oh. <laughs> eating, the, eating the bread and a steady diet of bread and water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Toenail fungus. <laughs> we had blue spot. Everybody was just so malnourished. They hadn't enriched wheat yet, so everybody had like rickets. <laughs> yeah, and the healthiest thing they were doing was smoking cigarettes and drinking tea. Yeah, like the tea kept people a lot. Like, yeah, it's it honestly it still does. antioxidants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, for Americans, their biggest source of antioxidants still is mm-hmm. coffee. Mm-hmm. Oh, and okay. for and for uh, the Commonwealth places, it's tea. Like, wow. that's the biggest source of antioxidants for those Western countries. Still, so yeah, he had an independent Labour Party contact um, to get an introduction to John McNair in Barcelona. And um, he met Henry Henry Miller in Paris on the way there. Oh, nice. Henry Miller was like, "You're a fucking idiot." <laughs> I'm just gonna write about being in Paris. Um, uh, Henry Miller wrote like um, Tropica, all the Tropics, one yeah. Tropic Cancer, Tropic Capricorn. Those books got like banned. He almost went to, I think he went to jail for them. Yeah, yeah, he was real nasty, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the time, yeah, for the time, it yeah, was real yeah, nasty. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, he meets McNair in Barcelona. Um, he says, "I uh, Orwell quoted him as saying." Um, I've come to fight against fascism. Um, he said later, if somebody asked me what I was fighting for, I, sh- I would have said common decency. Uh-huh. Um, and that kind of shows you like what he thinks eventually of all the other political riffraff that he was fighting alongside. Um, so the Workers' Party of Marxist Unification was the POUM. And the Anarcho-Syndicalist Confederation Nacional de Tre- Trebajo uh, was the United Socialist Party of Catalonia. And um, yeah, well, the United Socialist Party of Catalonia, which is a wing of the Spanish Communist Party, and was backed by the Soviet Arms and Aid. So this is what happens: is he's he's with um, the Workers Party of Marxist Unification, fighting alongside them, seeing the good work the anarchists are doing. Um, he uh, is then told that there's some fat Russian back in Barcelona just spreading lies and saying that the POUM is collaborating with the fascists. And he's like, my friends are dying on the front lines against the fascists. Like, this is bullshit. And they're all like, it's all like, Stalin is kind of like conferring with the West and doesn't really want this to work so much. Right. Like, he's fine if it works, but he's more about continuing the purges against other types Mm -hmm. of of, of Leninism and Mm -hmm. stuff. Like, they said uh, the POUM was doing a Trotskyist uh, uh, coup attempt, and uh, George Orwell was quoted as saying, these kids don't know who Leon Trotsky is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got to write a book about animals to show them who this kid is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, he was, he was on the front of, you know, he was, he was uh, like fucking 1,500 feet above uh, uh, sea level in the middle of winter. Um, he, he, he said there was very little munitions, food, um, and um, some international, uh, you know, uh, labor uh, party contingent, uh, some British came and uh, 
So then they were the whole, they were sent on to Huesca, Huesca, H U E S C A, city in northeastern Spain. Mm. Uh, still Aragon. Yeah. So um, and then Eileen visits. She brings him uh, English chocolate, tea, oh, cigars, God. all that stuff. Um, no fucking vitamin D or nothing like that. So then uh, he, he he has a poisoned hand somehow. Uh, and he comes back. He, most of his possessions are stolen by the staff. Um, he goes back to the front. Uh, and uh, then they they did a night attack on, on the fascists. And um, he he blew up a um, uh, enemy rifle position. Mm. Yeah. And he said, then I, I chased some guy with a bayonet and he got away. <laughs> um, but I think that was the extent of the action he really saw. Except... Um, he uh, went back... Uh, he went back to Barcelona, and he he wanted to go to the Madrid front, and and he he said he was told you must join the international column, and he went to the communist, uh, and explained his case, and he said he didn't think much of the communists, uh, you know, privately, but he was still ready to treat them as allies, and um, Orwell got caught up with the Barcelona May Days, which was factional fighting, uh. and. Um, Basically, uh, there was just all. That's when all the fucking lies went out about the POUM, mm -hmm. and he was told to keep his head down, and like, you know, told by his wife, like, get the fuck out of the country, mm -hmm. like, just get out, like, don't even go to a hotel. They're watching everywhere. Yeah. Um. So he slept in the streets, and then like got on a train. Yeah, it's so it's so amazing how like in that era, you know, twenties, thirties, and then obviously the forties and later, but like. The network of secret police and spies and informants that that Brilliant. authoritarians Incredible. could put together mm -hmm. like that was mind-boggling. Even in Spain and Portugal, the 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 network. I mean, of think, course, think, so of course, Soviet Russia. You think and the time it would take to court them and get them along? No, just here's here's three squares, yeah. and we won't kill your kids. Yeah, 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 dude. And the approval of the group, right? Like. Dude, just ne hundreds of thousands of, of 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 informants and spies in those, in just just the Iberian Peninsula. So at uh, at six foot two, he did take a bullet to the throat. They were aiming. <laughs> they were they were trained to shoot yeah. at a certain height to get headshots. Yes, right. No, they said they said really like at sun at, at sun sunset, the sun being behind you, it's like all you see is silhouettes. Mm. So it's the easiest. And they kept telling him like, get down, get you down, like goon, the tallest one here. Well, it's a good thing he wasn't. Two inches shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he wouldn't get any Tinder matches. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's, he, um, but yeah, he, he got one and uh, he couldn't talk and his blood pouring out of his mouth. And Jesus uh, Christ. They, um, they put him on a stretcher and they got him on, um, uh, L L E I D A, Leda. Don't know. That was, a, there was a hospital there. Ah. Uh. And um, he was good. Either. He was he was good enough um, to get up and around by 27th of May, and he was sent to Tarragona. Uh -huh. And two days later, um, to a POUM sanatorium on the bar suburbs of Barcelona. And the bullet had missed his main artery by the barest barest margin. It was such a clean shot that it was it was it cauterized itself. Nice, oh cool. God. Um, and uh, it's like a lightsaber. And then he <laughs> and then he was just like you know declared unfit for service. Right. You know? Um. And so, uh, yeah, it's just like all this, uh, you know, POUM propaganda w w like, was like, it took off a, a, a POUM mask and revealed like a swastika underneath, like all this shit went up and mm -hmm. it was just like fucking 
you know, divide and conquer completely mm-hmm. for Franco, you yeah. know, uh, or, or Stalin, which, yeah. um, and so, yeah, they, uh, they, uh, escaped by train and they went back to England. Um, he arrived back at Wallington and, uh, a deposition was presented to the Tribunal for Espionage and High Treason in Valencia, charging the Orioles with rabid Trotskyism. Rabid. Rabid. And being agents of, of the POUM. The trial of the leaders of the POUM and end of Orwell in his absence took place in Barcelona in October and November. Observing events from French Morocco, uh, Orwell wrote that they were only a byproduct of the Ruskin, Russian Trotskyist trials, and from the start, every kind of lie, including flagrant, flagrant absurdities, has been circulated in the communist press. Orwell's experience in Spanish Civil War gave rise to homage to Colonia, but it also just created everything he thought about politics mm-hmm. forevermore after. Yeah. Where he was just like, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. You know? Um, and it's all, and, and the people paying the price are the young and the uneducated and the poor and the, and the desperate. Yes. <laughs> and, and just the, the needless thing of who are you with? Yeah. And what does it matter? Right. What are you fighting for? Yeah. Common decency. Right. That's, you know, it's the only thing, you know, like, it's, it's, it's funny because it's like, uh, it becomes a trope of like, you know, the hero that's just a good guy in right. movies. Yeah. But it's a thing where you should go like. I, I know bad. Like, it's, yeah. I know I can fight again. I know, you know, sometimes it's more important to know what you're against than what you're for. Right. Um, and so there, that's why, I mean, that's why that trope works so often. Exactly. Yeah. Especially for the lone hero. Yeah. Everybody can identify with him. Yeah. Because. He's the good guy. Yeah, because he's in a, because he's at least not bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, the Gray Man out on Netflix starring Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Check it out by the Russo brothers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He. he um, the, the the trip to to to, to Monaco too was also financed uh, anonymously by some other novelist that, that was like a contemporary of his at the time. Our friend of the show, Ryan Kohler, is in Monaco right now. Oh, oh is that yes, right? Yeah, just very nice. Some pictures at Monte Carlo Casino, etc. Oh, very nice. Um, let's take a quick break. Sure. Be right back, folks. And we're back. So uh, the uh, the Orwells go back to Wallington. Um, which said the place is the place is in a shambles, disarray. Yeah, the, I, I the, do, the servants. They, oh, sorry, they ahead. didn't have any. The fucking the geese weren't taking oh, care the, of the place. The servants in Catalonia stole his stuff for Argot. Um, oh, no, uh, that was yeah. They stole his stuff over there. Yeah, but yeah, just yeah. like the house had just kind of fallen. To sure, shit. but didn't have a man to geese or, uh, or, will. or a woman. Um, they both were there. Uh, but I want to say before before human. moving on from the. Uh, uh, Spanish thing. Two things. Uh, one was he, um, while having an okay relationship with rats, down and out in London, uh, the rats, uh, the multitudes of them in the trenches, uh, led to a lifelong fear of rats, and um, which has no significance to anything he would write later. Yes, yes, absolutely not. Um, and also, uh, when there was kind of the purge coming down on the POUM. And not long after they started, the the uh, the communists were arresting them. Um, they started shooting them, and their friend uh, from the Independent Labor Connection uh, was a guy named George Cop, and uh, they did risk their cover by trying to save him. Uh, both of them. Um, she was very, very, very lockstep with him. Super brave. Huh. Um, very politically motivated. Um, he comes back. 
he starts fixing up the place. He gets a little poodle. He calls it Marks. Um, and uh, for Richard Marks, he gets a rooster that he calls Henry Ford. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he's just uh, starts starts breeding animals and writing homage to Catalonia. Uh-uh. And um, his health was kind of going going down a hill, and uh, he. Uh, was thought to be uh, having uh, TB, and um, uh, there's a Warburg, this guy Frederick Warburg. He became his publisher, and uh, how much Catalonia was was pushed out. He would be his publisher until the end. Um, and Warburg, yes, I just can't get away from Frederick Warburg. Very interesting. He did not only um, all all of the Orwell stuff. And close personal friendship with Orwell. He also published Mein Kampf. <laughs> I don't know if that was later, but the publishing house, and he also did the decline and fall of, of the Third Reich. Wow. Um, or the rise and fall of the Third Reich, I believe it is. Real bookend. The, the rise and fall, rise I believe. Fall, yeah. Real bookend series of that. Uh... But the, the publishing house was no, noted for being as anti-Soviet as it was anti-fascist. Uh-huh. That was just... So I don't know if it was the kind of thing where, you know... Hey, if it sells, it sells. Yeah, I mean, if you're a publishing house, it's good to have things you're against. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, Orwell says, I think, at the beginning of... Shit, one of the books. Like, liberty means nothing if if, if not uh, telling somebody something they don't want to hear. Mm. So I think it can be like a thing of like... It's probably 1984. Uh, no, no, I think I think it's a, a more... Uh, uh, like a, a more nonfiction work or an essay work. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, uh, 1984 is if you want a picture, if you want an image of the future, imagine or uh, visualize a boot stepping on a face forever. Right. right yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, he, he goes and he does to, uh, Morocco, Marrakech and they, uh, they have a villa on the road to Casablanca and there he writes coming up for air, which is about an Englishman, um, feeling like war is coming and, uh, and returning to his old, um, his old place where he grew up, which is like in the English countryside. Uh-huh. So it's and it, it's full of a lot of humor and stuff. Um, it's definitely his most uh, English of novels. Yeah. Uh, and um, and then he did that Dickens essay uh, in '39. His father dies. His father's name is Richard Blair. And um, at the outbreak of the Second World War, Eileen is working in the Ministry of Information in Central London uh-huh. and staying with her family in, in Greenwich. And um, Orwell submits his name to the Central Registrar for War Work. And uh, they won't have me in the Army at any rate at present because of my lungs. Um, he returned to Wallington in the late 39. He wrote the material for his first collection of essays, uh, Inside the Whale. For the next year, he's um, writing reviews for plays, films, and books for The Listener. New Adelphi, Time and Tide. Um, in 1940, his uh, association with the Tribune began with the review of a sergeant's account of Napoleon's retreat from Moscow. Beginning of 40, he, um, uh, his friend uh, uh, Connolly, um, he starts a, 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 a magazine called Horizon. And um, he was also a, a very good uh, writer, and they had been childhood friends that reconnected. Um, he always called him CC growing up. And um, didn't, um, maybe, maybe you have the date sense, but didn't he interview Stalin? Orwell? Yes. Oh. Where? Uh, in a, in a, for a magazine. 
Not that I know of. I no. think we talked about it on the show before mm. that he did an interview. Oh, we'll, we'll look at it the next break. It Bill, sure. Bill Stalin, local roofer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're thinking of, uh, uh, what's his name? Who uh, directed JFK? Oliver Stone? Yeah. <laughs> Blue Stalin. <laughs> no, he did that big series with uh, Putin, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, but it was, I, I feel like there was something where Orwell interviewed one of these folks. So this is pretty crazy. He's, he's, so during the war, he's, um, he's got a new literary context. He's got, he's got a, a flat in London, Dorset Chambers. Um, it's the time of the Dunkirk evacuation. No shit. And um, Eileen's brother, Lawrence, um, dies in France, and she's you know, just super depressed. Um, Orwell starts doing a wartime diary. Um, he's unfit for any military service, and then, um, but they say, will you do the home guard? And he sees the home guard as a way to also have it be like a proletariat, like mm. militia. Um, and uh, so is a home guard like their national guard? Yeah, it's a okay. thing where it's like, guys, if fucking people start landing, you know, it, yeah, it, throw it, rocks. Yeah, Piccadilly Circus. Like, yeah. let's here's. Uh, so he taught street, Germans aren't here to he, buy he, clothes. He taught straight up street fight for uh, uh, street fighting. Cool field fortifications. Uh, mortars, um, <laughs> bullets in the neck, yeah. and you. Yes. He, 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 Who here is six two? Get out. He recruits his publisher Warburg to join the unit. No right. shit. Um, during the Battle of Britain, um, he was uh, he would spend uh, uh, weekends with Warburg and this uh, Zionist guy whose name was Tosco Fivel at Warburg's house in uh, Berkshire. Um, cool name, Tosco. At Wallington, uh, he worked on England, your England, and London, and wrote reviews for various periodicals. Uh, visiting Eileen's family um, brought him face to face with the effects of the Blitz on East London. Mm. Um, Warburg, Fivel, and Orwell planned Searchlight Books, um, which uh, eleven volumes uh, originally appeared. It was a series of essays uh, in hardback book. Uh, um, I think the one he did was uh, "The Lion and the Unicorn: Socialism and the English Genius." Huh. Um, Socialism and the English genius. Uh, he begins to write for the American Partisan Review, uh, which he's then had some kind of like, you know, a hookup with the New York intellectuals at the time then. Um, contributed to the Gauland's anthology, The Betrayal of the Left, which, which uh, was written in the light of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, which is the, the, the non-aggression alliance with Russia mm. and uh, Nazism. Oh. And that worked out. Uh, yeah, George Orwell says... He got a drink out of it. He starts doing the, the broadcasts for the Eastern Service, the BBC, that are going to India. Um, and um, he said, one could not have a better example of the moral and emotional shallowness of our time than the fact that we are now a more or less pro-Stalin. That this disgusting murder is temporarily <laughs> on our side, and so the purges, etc., are suddenly forgotten. Right. Yeah. Which is, everybody knows, went down. Yeah, it is the enemy of my enemy, like... Hey, it, you don't. The war ends up a lot differently. Uh, ends up a lot different without. Yeah, and that. so I mean, and he's, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, he's going like, so he's he's in uh, the BBC doing uh, counter propaganda because the Nazis are giving the Indians propaganda. Yeah, right. And um, and he said that was like sort of his his first glimpse of the, the rigid conformity of office work. So you can see that going to 1984 mm -hmm. as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um. And, and working in, you know, the Ministry of Truth mm -hmm. or whatever. And uh, 
he had dinner with H.G. Wells, which uh, became an argument because uh, Wells had taken offense at some observations he'd written about him in a Horizon article. It was H.G. Wells who interviewed Stalin, by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, in 34. Oh. Uh, interesting. He said, I'm further to the left than you are. <laughs> <laughs> you said it to Stalin. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I think Stalin would be like, yeah, you are. Yeah. For, oh, don't just don't let my people hear about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, David Astor at this time uh, makes him a, a frequent contributor to the Observer, and the Observer and the Guardian are like have always been so proud to have Orwell as a writer. Um, first article is forty two. Um, they uh, moved to a bigger flat, uh, and they they were uh, in in Kilburn, which he, he said was the lower middle class ambiance that uh, Orwell thought was London at its best. Um. And then uh, his 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 mother and sister get like everybody's going to London at this time. I I, I can't I can't believe like it's like dude go, get the fuck to the country. I don't know what they're doing. Um, but except that there's probably uh so much factory work to be done. Yeah, yeah and it's yeah. all hands on deck. Yeah. I think that's what happened with his sister. I think I think they worked like at a sheet metal factory. Yeah, and there's probably more anti aircraft guns around. The yeah, you turn the lights off at night, you're gonna be fine apparently. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the, you know the V twos weren't that accurate. So yeah, he did a voice, a literary program for Indian broadcasts, and um, he was worried that it wasn't starting to get you know enough uh, traction. Forty three, uh, his mother dies, and he tells his friend he's starting work on a new book about animals. And uh, the guy's like, "Oh, the caterpillar fucking yeah, yeah, yeah." Oh, good, doing the Lord's work, George. Mm. Finds out that the broadcasts are not really working in India. He resigns from that post in September forty three. And uh, then he's just like keen on on finishing Animal Farm. He goes, he goes in and he's like, it's me, George Orwell, the guy on the radio. You all know me. And uh, one of the last things he did before uh, quitting was, uh, I guess, a radio ad- adaptation of Hans Christian Andersen's The Emperor's New Clothes. Great. Mm. And so he said, uh, the uh, that's why the words fairy tale appear on the cover of Animal Farm. Oh. He was like into this new format or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it, it says, so Animal Farm, a fairy tale. Yeah. Uh, was how, how it pre- like premiered. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. And um, resigns uh, from the Home Guard also for medical reasons. Um, he's made assistant literary ed- editor tri- uh, Tribune. Um, his old friend uh, John is uh, an assistant. And uh, he was on the staff until early 45, 80 book reviews. Um, he had a regular column, you know, almost like King's things called As I Please. <sighs> and he's just writing about like melons and d- d- like, pretty, like honestly, pretty much. He'd be railing about women's fashion magazines you and know then, it grinds my gears. Yeah. All these women today. He he was going like the uh, tits are out. He was going like the uh the fakeness of 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 the language. And, and and how it was it was just all bullshit. And then he just he just goes, you can't even say spaz anymore. And then he goes, let me tell you about traffic fatalities. Like he just pivots, like to, you know, it's whatever he wants to talk about. Like yeah. usually broken up into three, four par- paragraphs. And um, so yeah, he's he's kind of a pundit in like the left wing. Um, he's also a close friend of people on the right. Uh, and uh, so like you know, uh, nation. Uh, has him doing stuff. Horizon, uh, the Guardian Observer, um, and uh, so he's pretty well known at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Animal Farm comes up. Okay. And uh, Golans, uh, he was the one that was doing all the early shit. Uh, the the socialist, uh, maybe the source of of the uh, Anna, rich anarchist. The rich anarchist. Uh, he refuses to publish it. 
And he, I think it's like uh, he was going like, even Homage to Catalonia, he was like, I'm not going to publish that because he thought it was too against the left. And um, T.S. Eliot. Nope. Not going to publish it. Why? He was in, in charge at Faber and Faber. Um, I don't know at that time if it was still felt like we should not be upsetting the Soviets. Um, because keep in mind, it's 44. Yeah. Um, and then, um, he believed he was, uh, I don't know if there was any proof to it, uh, but he believed that he was, uh, infertile and they adopted a son, Hmm. a three week year old, uh, uh, boy and named him after his father, Richard. His name was Richard Horatio, Hmm. uh, Blair and, um. Well, you know, it just means he was really fucking a lot. And, uh... Just wasn't working. Their house, uh, a V1 flying bomb took apart. <laughs> and they weren't home, thank God. And you, the... Uh, so that's why you moved to London. George, George Orwell would be, like, moving around, and, like, the cops would just be like, it's the Blitz, get to the tube. And so everybody would be in the tube. Right. And, um... Keep w- calm. W- wait it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um... The cop on the street would be like, women and children first. You know, and then you would... All right, now you lot, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, so uh, he had to go through the rubble to get his book collection, which he threw into a wheelbarrow, and also the manuscript for Animal Farm. <sighs> and just wheeled it off to his office. Good deal. I mean, at least he got it. Um, yeah. And Then the uh, the one uh, publishing house says they're gonna um, publish it, and uh, the decision uh, is reversed. And he founds out it was because of a personal uh, visit to a man named Peter Smollett, uh, who was an official at the Ministry of Information. He was later identified as a Soviet agent. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> then they were in the Northeast near <laughs> County Durham. But like you're saying, dude, like, fuck, they were everywhere, bro. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, they adopted the kid, and they get this this home in. Uh, uh, Can- Canterbury Square in Islington, and um, Island gives up her job at the Ministry of Food. She's taking care of the family. Um, Warburg agrees to publish Animal Farm. Um, didn't come out till August '45, and uh, in February '45, uh, Orwell had been made war correspondent for the Observer, and uh, he had been looking for the opportunity throughout the war, right. and. Uh, he he was he, you know his med, his medical wouldn't let him near anywhere near the action, and so then he goes to like it's you know it's the end of the war but he goes yeah. and um, he goes to uh, liberated Paris and then he's in like uh, Cologne and Stuttgart and like there's still bodies on the floor, um, never under fire, um, but yeah he was like we would we would hit towns the day after they fell it stinks. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, he had some stuff in the Manchester Evening News. Um, he was over there, and uh, Eileen went to the hospital for a hysterectomy and died under anesthetic. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. And uh, he, he he didn't even tell, or she didn't even tell him. That she was going in? Yeah. She was like, oh. it's just like I don't even want to burden him. Oh, my God. And, uh. Well, you burned him, but uh, that's fucking uh, I, He was infertile anyways, you know? <laughs> And uh, good, yeah, good thing they adopted that kid. I guess he uh, returned to London to cover the 1945 general election, and uh, Animal Farm came out 17 um, August uh, 45, 26 August 46, and 
it was just the perfect book to come out post-war. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and it was like... Uh, and everybody's like, hey, we can hate Stalin now. Worldwide success. Uh, he becomes famous in his own time for the first time. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so he, he just takes on more work because he's also just so distraught over Eileen. Yeah. Um, and I think his sister comes and is you know, taking care of Richard. And... Uh, He's, you know, he's still doing the small circulation political magazines, too. Like, he's just writing, writing, writing. And uh, he begins work on 1984. Um, he's part of kind of what was considered the, uh, the Shanghai Club, which was a uh, left-wing and, and emigrant uh, journalist, uh, E.H. Carr, Sebastian Hafner, Isaac Deutscher, Barbara Ward, and John Kimchi, who's a friend of his uh, from, from years and years past. Um... In the year following Eileen's death, he published around 130 articles and a selection of critical essays, um, remaining active in various political lobbying campaigns. He employed a housekeeper, Susan Watson, to look after his adopted son. That was it. And uh, the visitors described the, the flat as bleak. Uh, well, he was too busy writing to do anything else, it sounds like. That's a lot of articles. He, has like, he has like four different women to marry him, like... Uh. like you know, after like meeting them for an hour, standing yeah. on his head. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, it's hey. different, right? Oh, no, you know me. But so, Dave, uh, you like worms? <laughs> David, David Astor, who asked him to join the Guardian, he had family around the um, the Scottish estates, and that's how he got the, to that island of Jura. And um, you know, he he was like, it was another thing where like get this guy out to a fixer upper, keep, keep himself busy. Yeah, away from groups. Uh, yeah, so he had several hopeless and unwelcome marriage proposals to younger women, including Celia Kerwin, uh, who would become Arthur Kessler's sister-in-law, uh, Anne Popham, uh, who happened to live in the same block of flats, uh, and Sonia Brownell, uh, who was uh, his friend Connolly's uh, uh, coterie at the Horizon office. And uh, she eventually would marry him. Um, she sounds really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he had I'm a, tu a, he had a tubercular right hemorrhage in February '46, Ugh. but disguised his illness. How do you do that? Uh, you have red handkerchiefs. Yeah, yeah. They don't see me cough no. up blood. No, it's from the war wound. Yeah, it's the British Council uh, asks him to do a piece on British cooking. Oh, which he goes into hardcore, and then they go like. Oh, this isn't cool because everybody's on rations, and they and, and, and then they issue like the, an apology pub publicly to him, being like, "Right, everybody was on rations because there was like a, a, a big period of austerity after the war." Right. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't just like war ration stuff. Right. It was like, oh, we we are like cutting back on public spending after the war. Right. Yeah. Because we don't have men. We don't have men, and we have we owe the United States a lot of money because mm -hmm. the United States like. Put a lot of money, like they, they lend at least. They, yeah, they lend a lot of money, mm -hmm. and then they weren't really part of the Marshall Plan, right? Like the, the Marshall no. Plan was usually was more of like the kind of real precursor to Brexit. I, I think I think it was all I think it was all U.S. Marshall Plan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is that that the England didn't get any of that money. Well, no, yeah, and they. Well, I don't. I, I wonder. Either way, I, I could. I'm like that's total speculation. I, I don't know, but I do know that there was a big period of austerity post-war. Uh, well, also, too, they're probably, the I would imagine they're scrambling to keep the vestiges of, of Empire left, and a lot of money's going into that, to holding what they got, sort of. Yeah, but they also, like, you know, they redrew the map of the Middle East, they got, I mean, that was the end of the British Empire, was, yeah. was World War Two. I think it was, yeah. we gotta tighten the belts. Well, they drew, we redrew the map after one, didn't they? 
And two. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, so lost more men in World War One too. So Britain did uh, receive a fifty-year loan with a two percent interest rate of three point seven five billion dollars. Yeah, from the U.S. Yeah, from, with from the Marshall Plan or for for war. From the Marshall Plan. How does that oh. work with the other countries? Do they just get uh, it? There was aid distributed to sixteen European nations. Yeah, but not loans. Um, it might have been. I wonder what it would be, you know, for for Germany, uh, Germany, Japan, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I'm you sure you got to send I'm us sure. some freaky porn over the next half century. <laughs> No, that's, I'm what, the, that's what the nukes shit. did. The nukes, <laughs> yeah. the nukes brought that out. That's why it's all tentacles. And... Yeah, they explain that to Germany though. <laughs> so yeah, uh, he's you know he's getting sick yeah, and uh, he does, he gets shut down on this thing. Uh, Marjorie dies of kidney disease. Uh, his older sister uh, in May, um, and then so he goes to this little island in Scotland, uh, and it's it, you know there was a abandoned farmhouse and. Uh, an abandoned farmhouse. Uh, yeah. Simpler times when you just find an abandoned yeah. farmhouse. Pack, pack up here. Yeah, no one's coming But he, back. He, he loved fixing it up. It was just his thing, man. And uh, being out in the country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, showing, you know, his little boy uh, how to shoot rabbits. Mm-hmm. Uh, Breed caterpillars. They'd be catching lobsters. Hell Sorry. yeah, dude. Yeah, his sister talks about being sick of eating lobster in the thing. It's it was like, a poor people's food for a hundred years. Dude, it's so funny. It's a cockroach of yeah, the they sea. They used to serve it at prisons. Mm-hmm. She's like, lobster again? I was like, is this thing being funny? Or <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> is you know? this thing being funny? Yeah, like the book, I was like, um, oh, with the book you were reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, much like buffalo wings are just an excuse to eat shovels of blue cheese, uh, lobster is just an excuse no, to eat a lot ch- of butter. The chicken wing is inherently succulent. I will stand by the chicken wing. And a lobster is inherently succulent. Yes, yes. I stand by them both. Uh, it's just that they are sea cockroach, uh, but they, they are had, they, sea roach. They had to come into style. Yes. Uh, yeah, now it's thirty dollars for a lobster roll. Yeah, they're not so po boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hi, I'll be here <laughs> half a week. Uh, so yeah, Avril, the little sister, she comes up with the with the little Richard when they're ready, and uh, they have two <laughs> d fruity. Uh, uh, little Richard Orwell, or, 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 or Richard little, Horatio, little little Richard <laughs> Horatio Blair, and um, oh, good golly! <laughs> so Orwell is working on 1984 up there, and um, Just uh, an D- David Holbrook, who who would later be kind of uh, you know a uh, 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 he, he was he was dating uh, this woman Susan Watson, and um, the woman that declined his propo- declined Orwell's proposal. Yeah, but also like the same thing. Like they liked being in that circle yeah, or whatever. But, but he was a writer and an academic. And, I don't want to fuck him, but I don't mind hanging out. And Orwell just like made him feel really unwelcome because he was a member of the Communist Party. <sighs> so they fuck off. And um, I, I bet he gave later fuck or less fucks uh, at this point in his life. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I, I would say after uh, Spain, it was yeah. the gloves were off. Well, you take a bullet <laughs> through the neck, I suppose. Um, he, he goes back to London <laughs> in late 46 and picks up literary journalism again. And uh, now he's known, so he's, he's like I said, swamped. And um, stays in London um, uh, for one of the coldest winters on record. Uh, that with such a national shortage of fuel that he burnt his furniture and his child's toys. Oh, that's, <sighs> a, that's a teacher. Um, a teaching lesson The right heavy there. smog in these days was also probably just absolutely... Uh, yeah. Brutal for him before the Clean Air Act oh, of 56. I mean, how many fucking people back then with just, like, the slightest disease and, and, and breathing also, And also, that? he was just one of these guys where, like, you know, no doctors. Right. Yeah. Well, the cigarettes were the doctors in those days. 
Yeah, and this Pick is two, like, this is like, like a guy too that like the doctors when he went to the to, for the for the throat shot in Spain. They were like, oh, my God, you survived the ambulance and the field hospital? <laughs> like, sure. that's just as dangerous as getting shot. Yeah. So, like, he's had, like, no real bad experience to even be that guy, which all of our dads probably are. Right. I don't know if your dad is, but me and his definitely. Yeah. Wait, what, our, what, our is, work? what is that? <laughs> How'd that work out? What is that guy? Uh, not fucking doctors. Or don't I, oh, like, I'm not going oh, to a doctor. They're just going to tell me I'm sick. What's like, yeah. yeah. You know when your dad tells you doctors don't know what they're talking about? No, I don't. So I guess he's not one of those. Yeah, one of those dads, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pussy. <laughs> and the wound cauterized itself. I don't know what the problem. Uh, uh, that's probably what he said. It's like, what I need a doctor for? The bullet sealed the whole yeah, shot. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so, so uh, he's got this thing too with Gallant's, uh from the early publishing days, and and Warburg now sort of arguing over who owns what of 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 his the, stuff. the Orwell canon because it's uh, you know. Um, you know, it quickly becomes who will take it to. We all, uh, we, we, yeah. we all want, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like. Oh, I just discovered my love of this. And so, yeah, he has to establish a, a company and like copyright his own shit. Like, he's become that famous in his own time, uh, and it's still, you know, is is gonna be messy. Yeah, even though he's aware of it. Um. You know, like one-on-one conversations where he said I could have twenty-five percent of the company, like shit, like that happens. Where you're like, bro, you got to have another motherfucker there, yeah, at least a notary, um, a lawyer, a motherfucker. So, uh, Esquire. He goes back to Jura. He makes uh, good progress on eighty-four, um, and uh, his his sister's uh, family come out, Avril's, and he he takes the kids out on the boat. And uh, there's like this fucking, there's this world, oh, it's, oh, it's there's this whirlpool thing. He's like, oh, the kids will love it. And uh, fucking, no. Yeah, it thrashes the boat. And uh, Oh, the kids are going to love it. Go towards the swirling maelstrom uh, the, of seawater. The kids love a good drowning. I know, I, yeah. burned, I burned my son's toys last year. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I got to take him on a crazy ride. <laughs> Got to take him on Mr. Toads. Yeah, you know how Daddy burned all your toys because it was so cold on account of my good decision. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen to this. <laughs> kids are gonna love this. Um. And so yeah, he saves. You know, nobody dies, but it, him getting that wet is not good for him either. Um. He's a fucking gremlin. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's uh forty-seven Christmas. He's he's in um the hospital uh, outside Glasgow, and um he's uh. Diagnosed with TB, um, and he gets uh, streptomycin, early antibiotic. Yeah, and uh, he uh, uh, is helped with a payment by David Astor from the uh, uh-huh. Observer Guardian, and um, you know it was marginally successful. Uh, he finishes. Uh, he goes back to Jura, finishes the manuscript for 1984, and. Uh, he goes to another place for treatment, and um, they were like, oh, fuck, you look like shit, dude. And uh, at first, people were worried about how much all this shit would cost, but now, like, the money's starting to come in, you know, so he's doing okay. And um, he's he's writing his friends, and um, his friend Celia Kerwin, who was one of the people he had, you know, uh, made advances towards, she had started working for the Information Research Department. And that's basically a uh, uh, precursor to like an MI five ish kind of thing mm-hmm. or whatever, um, sort of uh, their version of the CIA. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, 
they want to uh, do anti-communist propaganda. And uh, Orwell gave her a list of people. Yeah. Uh, which didn't come out until 2003. Mm, right. And Guardian, I remember being like, you know, just having left there and the Guardian <sighs> and Observer being like, what the fuck? But he laid it out for you in all of his books that everybody yeah. fucking gives in at the end. Yeah, but it was a thing, too, where people were going, like, even this is a thing that's being taken out of context because people would take things out of context mm -hmm. or they cherry pick. And he was just going, like, if you're going to do uh, counterinsurgency operations, just steer clear of these people. Right. I feel like these people would not be good. Not like... Here's a blacklist of, so, so, of lives to destroy. Right. So, is, I mean, is, is that your theory or I mean w w that was that was w what a source said yes okay so, the, yes. so that the, that the, that source later clarified that by saying here's a list of people to not fuck with yes people that he believed through his circles that's interesting uh, yes it is well then that changes the that game that does John. change that much. changes the whole yes. fucking situation John. um would you would you be at all be interested in knowing who's on it <laughs> yeah well I mean if Orson I'm Welles yes. yeah huh <laughs> Orson Welles Orson Welles is on it yes Dude, I couldn't fucking believe it. I was like, we got H.G. Wells, we got Orson well, Wells, and we George got George Orwell. Orson Wells was... Well, keeping uh, the family, I guess. He, I think he he was on the blacklist, but it didn't really matter at that point. Yeah, he was fucking log jamming. Um, Getting lobsters from Orwell's scraps. And was he... Oh, is it, oh there, yeah, anyway. We'll talk about that in the Patreon. Yeah. Um, where, yeah where I, Orson Wells stays. Boy. I had no idea uh, at all. Um, but it was Catherine Hepburn, Orson Welles, uh, Orson Welles, uh, John, John, John Steinbeck. Yes. Grapes of Wrath. Yes. Uh, uh, an author he enjoyed. Yeah. Um, Cecil Day Lewis. That I assume Daniel's father. That's correct. No shit. He was just doing that for a role though. Yeah. <laughs> He went back in time and really... <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, fucking... I, I, Cecil Day-Lewis <laughs> sounds so silly Cecil, here. I guess. Yeah, so I know, but it just sounds silly already knowing his son Daniel, with the Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis. Well, right. Which flows out the tongue much better. Um, and so they, they made... Uh, the IRD also put uh, Animal Farm... They weaponized Animal Farm into cartoon strips. Yeah. Uh, Animal Farm is the first feature-length animated film made in the UK. Wow. No sh yeah, I did know that. Fucking did I hell. That? I'm like... Do I think we watched it in seventh grade or eighth or ninth, ninth grade? We watched it. In your, and, your English animation class? No, history class. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was a, or, you know, a social studies, one of those yeah, history sure. classes. Social studies, yeah, yeah, one of those, yeah. Well, like, what the fuck is social, social studies? The IRD and the CIA both looked to Orwell to be like, we need to get like anti communist propaganda out here now. Hardcore. And we, um, you know, basically like, they do. Uh, you know, 1984 one where uh, I think Winston's like ends up being down with Big Brother. Like it, it totally bastardizes the novel. Mm -hmm. um, but they wanted like happier endings for American audiences or whatever. <sighs> but it was also a saps. Thing. It was a thing of like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta fucking get this. Uh, <laughs> gotta get this out there. And yeah, it's he, either cartoon strips or bombs. So and, and, and he was, he was apparently um, you know. Uh, yeah, it's just you know it's so funny because. The whole time he's attacking the the, uh, the malaise and and the hypocrisy and the silliness and and he he would, he would do columns about just tea, tea time and 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 like the the things and like uh, um, 
tinned fish <sighs> and things that he despised. You tinned know? fish? Yeah, just like... Tinned fish is great. Yeah, sure. I'm, you know, I'm so, not gonna, we're not going to start a fight over that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, you know... You're out there in the Spanish Civil War, you pull out some tin fish at oh, ceasefire, pal. Maybe. Well, that's the thing, is that, like, he, he, he perfectly encapsulates, uh, well, it was, uh, democracy is the worst form of government except, except for, all others. Which is who? Churchill? Uh, yeah, it's Churchill. Yeah. So it's like, he's just so of that generation perfectly, but had uh, been so disillusioned by, uh, you know, his sort of revolutionary past, that at the end of it all, he goes like, well, all I know is this country's full of shit, but I do like England. Yeah, and you know, what side are you fighting for? Or what, what's your cause? Decency, common decency. So right, like, right. it's this or, you know, Stalinist yeah. Russian gulags and yeah. them getting the bomb. And it's easy to see how after a world war and then England's austerity, uh, what ideolo- governmental ideology are you going to root for mm-hmm. after a world war and then your country's in austerity and it's like well is this, this is democracy of England working well there's still like blacklisting people is that you know which one of these systems actually works mm-hmm. the, I mean for I would imagine for him it was the one with little to no camps <laughs> ideally yes. <laughs> yeah but here's the here's the thing too uh and, and and this is a question for better better historians than than we are but it's the thing where like you know my dad was always adamant he goes like the, the u.s came in at the fucking tail end of that thing the brits took on the far, once again yeah the far bigger brunt of the fighting obviously the, the the soviets too once it turns that way but it's just like a thing where you go like it must have been hard for them to be like so we don't keep any of this <laughs> As like an imperial power, and and the states goes no, right, and neither do we, and actually, we need to pay to fix it all. But it's just like a thing where you go like after the first world war, you go like that's the way to do it, man. Yeah, otherwise, otherwise they come back again. Yeah, it's like it's gonna be another fucking regroup. Yeah, and uh, so and don't let them have a fucking military for seventy five years. Right. 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 So, so the only one that actually did it was the Soviets. The only ones that actually that kept taking territory, yeah, you know. Well, well, I mean, what was? I guess we both kind of did in Germany, but that was us ostensibly being like. I mean, like Berlin, what East Berlin, West Berlin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. East and West Germany. Uh, yeah. Um, <sighs> you gotta if you break it, you buy it. You know. Europe, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Otherwise, like, they're just gonna come back, and have a boogeyman again. Right. Um, but, the, you know, the U.S. had, this was a great impetus for the U.S. to, like, you know, tap their, res- un, you know, hitherto before untapped resources. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the thing was that the states were just going, like, listen, you know, we're not, we're not telling you who to elect or anything. We're, we're just here. That's what they, they did. It in- that right there? Oh, that's just the bomb. No, but, like. But anyways. No, I'm saying, like, the, 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 the <laughs> occupying troops are, like, which, I mean. They weren't occupying, occupying, because it's just like, we have a base here. Yeah. But they also would go out sometimes and, like, fuck with the locals and, like, you know, there'd have to be some public admonishment of, like... Yeah, and that's been the case ever since, but, you know, they, um... Th- that's, it's, it's you know, there was... When, when it was Rome, it was Pax Romana, and pa- after World War II, it was it's Pax Americana. Mm. And it was just like, all right, this is the New World Order. It's us or the other guy. Right. 
um, England kind of tapped out its resources. It wasn't so much about having a navy anymore. It was about having an air force. Right, and, right, 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 sure. I mean, the U.S. Navy is the second biggest air force in the world. Yes. Next to the U.S. Air Force. Crazy. So it's that, you know, World War One saw the, the you know, the, the popularization of, of air warfare, but mm-hmm. World War Two showed that, like, oh, the, you know, the game has changed. And yeah, this is no other country on earth has this kind of firepower except the except Germans who had jets mm-hmm. but we just had a lot more shit yes right we had more resources to to tap and we were, into and we were out of the war for long enough for to spool up yeah. and to see how is this going to shake out uh but we kind of we kind of already had our favorites um i mean the the, the american presence on the continent like you know it is it is res- it, they did allow, or we, we, we forced ourselves on all these other countries with like, you know, sure, NATO yeah. and all this stuff and having our bases there, but they <laughs> did get a free police force or a free, like, you know, military that they don't have to ha- spend their own money on yes, that they right. can then spend on things like healthcare <laughs> yes, right, <laughs> and social right. services, mm-hmm. whereas our money goes to that. Yeah. And we, yeah, <laughs> we, we kind of hope, I guess that our end of the deal is that they, more business with American corporations. Yes, they, yeah, yeah, they do, yeah. and they pay back their loans, and right. they also toe the line when it comes to international politics. Um, no, well, to a point, to a point, to a point. I mean, but, they're not going to vote with uh, Israel against Palestine. I'll, no, not at the UN. No, uh, but they, they, you know, when it comes to the Iraq War or na- international drug policy, they do. Uh, In the case of the Iraq War, who signed on? England. England. Spain, I think. Spain, England, coalition of the willing. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't Spain, all NATO countries. Spain, Spain fucking reversed it immediately because they got those train bombs. Remember? That's right. They tried right. to blame they're it on like, ETA. They're like, nah, this is not ETA, bro. Yeah, they're like ETA phones in warnings. Yeah. this is fucking. And then, uh, you know, there was like. And then the train bombing in in England too, but England didn't pull out because right. they're in the the pocket of the U.S. But well, also Blair went headlong into the twenty minute claims of missiles, all that bulls. He went just as far as Bush in the claim. Yeah, well, there's two guys in Belgium that joined too. So uh, you know, it's like there's a lot of yeah. Coalition of the Willing. Yeah. Yeah. Guys that will get in our planes. Guys that won't get out of the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, After yeah. we shove them in the there. stowaways. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, 1984 um, comes out, critical acclaim immediately. It's already a thing. Um, a million periodicals. Uh, and then, you know, who knows what the money was from doing the intelligence work? Yeah, or or selling those rights to get you know uh, whatever. But I know that there was you know some debate with um, you know he's basically dying when that woman finally marries him that he, yeah. he flirted with three three uh, years before, which is you know not the greatest look for either of them. Uh, well, especially for her. <laughs> Because um, he's just in a bed with a typewriter. Yeah, there's, <laughs> not a lot of, there's not a lot of good looks left all, for him. All, all, the, all the, like, the medical treatment, all the sanitariums, like, all that stuff, always a typewriter. <sighs> he had a fucking, like, uh, was it Remington? Yeah, nice. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was always just fucking, every, every time he was sick, just kept writing, kept writing, kept writing. Um, Smith Corona. But I think he was just like... <laughs> Uh, I think I think she was I think Sonia is her name Brownall. Uh, she was the uh, inspiration for Julia in 1984, and I don't know if he was thinking that it would be, you know, a suitable mom for Richard Horatio after he was gone. But uh, Avril and her husband end up taking Richard Horatio anyway, 
And I think uh, Richard ended up being uh, running the Orwell Society. Um, hopefully getting just very rich in the ensuing years uh, off his dad's stuff, you know, with, uh, you know, these other couple of pub- the, publisher the, dudes. A- Apple and, Macintosh commercials. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. That's yes, right. Um, and so, yeah, uh, he, uh, you know, just, you know, mid 49, uh, it, Sonia Brownell and they announced their engagement in September, shortly before he was uh, at the University College Hospital in London. She took care of, uh, took charge of his affairs and uh, was attending him diligently in hospital, it was said. In September 49, he invited his accountant, um, Harrison, to visit him in hospital. And Harrison claimed that Orwell then asked him to become director of uh, GOP Limited, his company. Uh, George Orwell, you know, whatever. And there was no independent witness. Uh, the wedding took place in a hospital room in Jesus October 49. Christ. Uh, David Astor is best man. Um, well, that should be you. And he, he was visited by all, the, all these friends, and um, uh, his plans to go to the Swiss Alps were, uh, you know, unrealized. Huh. Yeah. Neutralized. And uh, further <laughs> meetings with Harrison, his accountant, and Mr. and Mrs. Blair were confirmed as directors of the company, at which Harrison claimed that the service agreement was executed, giving copyright to the company. Um, his health was in decline again by Christmas. On the evening of January 20th, 1950, uh, a friend visited Orwell and uh, found him asleep. Jack Harrison visited later and claimed Orwell gave him 25% of the company. Ah, <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, yeah, I saw him right before he died. Early on the morning of 21st of January, an artery burst in Orwell's lungs, killing him age 46. 46? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, he had uh, requested to be buried in accordance with the Anglican rite in the graveyard of the closest church to wherever he happened to die. Huh. And his, his thing, here lies Eric Arthur Blair, born 1903, died 1950. You would that's never fucking it. know. Dude. That's it. Wow, that's a, uh, you would never fucking, you, just people walk by that now, they have no fucking. And I think, I think it was because of, of, uh, of, of the war, uh, there was nothing nearby yeah. that could take it. So David Astor was like, all right, my church closest to me. Yeah. And, um, and 40, prolific, 46, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they had to fight over some of the, the stuff with the money, blah, 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 not interesting. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, he had the embedded journalism kind of legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a, li- a little bit of a uh, little Gonzo, mm-hmm. early, uh, yeah. early Gonzo. Yeah, um, the essays, um, you know, the argumentative streak within him when he's appealing very much uh, still lived on uh, to the point where, you know, it, it was it became kind of the foundation of the uh, the columns in the Guardian and Observer to this day, um, where there's people of you know very different political mm-hmm. stripes arguing very effectively in a way that you know they they mean it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's personal in good faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's the really funny stuff of, of the way he is used by the left and the right. Oh, yeah. And uh, well, the thought police. Well, the thought police and. Well, they're coming to your tent. Uh, so let's take the right side first. Okay. Uh, an unperson. Uh huh. Someone that has fallen out of favor. Yeah. The canceled person mm-hmm. is now an unperson, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or it could be. In, the, in 1984, it's also somebody that's like. Disappeared, mm-hmm. but you know, like they're actually an unperson, right? But it's like even if they're not, you know, yeah. uh, thought police, mm-hmm. um, groupthink, mm-hmm. newspeak, 
uh, Newspeak. Uh, well, Newspeak affects everyone, right? Yeah. Um, but and group, so does Groupthink. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, the um, the uh, the the names of these departments, right? Like the the Ministry of Truth is really the Ministry of Propaganda. Like the defense after World War World War Two, the United States had the War Department, mm-hmm. and then afterwards it became the Department of Defense. Yes, yes. and that is very. 1984. Yes. With the Ministry of, of Truth and Love, or, or uh, what is it, the Ministry of Truth, the Ministry of Love, mm-hmm. all these ministries that have the name of the opposite. Of, of the quite, the very right, opposite right. thing that they are uh, perpetrating. Well, the best uh, defense is, is starting wars in other countries. That's right. Uh, this is the conclusion on, on Dickens. Just to. Wait, uh, his conclusion on Dickens? Yeah, in the 1940 essay. Okay. When one reads any strongly individual piece of writing, one has the impression of seeing a face somewhere behind the page. It is not necessarily the actual face of the writer. I feel this very strongly with Swift, with Defoe, with Fielding, Stendhal, Thackeray, Flaubert, though in several cases I do not know what these people look like, and I do not want to know. What one sees is the face that the writer ought to have. Well, in the case of Dickens, I see a face that is not quite the face of Dickens' photographs, though it resembles it. It is the face of a man of about 40, with a small beard and a high collar. He is laughing with a touch of anger in his laughter, but no triumph, no malignity. It is the face of a man who is always fighting against something, but who fights in the open and is not frightened. The face of a man who is generously angry. In other words, of a 19th century liberal, a free intelligence, a type hated with equal hatred by all of the smelly little orthodoxies which are now contending for our souls. Ugh, that's fantastic. And that's the thing, like, the <laughs> little orthodoxies, not the common decency. R- right. It's, it's, the you, you see it, yeah. You see it becoming the thing of like, oh, well, on this branch of uh, Trotskyist, anarcho yeah, syndicalist, yeah. and you're like, well, yeah. that ain't gonna work. Yeah, I'm an anarcho capitalist with right. a yeah, slight right. um, uh, uh, syndicalist tendencies. Like, uh, okay, how many intersect? Like, <laughs> oh, God, labels, fucking labels, dude. The uh, the laughter with uh, with anger. Uh, it's it, he paints such a, a, a such a fantastic picture there. And I mean, because, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. That, that laughter, it's not a gen, sin, it's gen, not a cynical laughter. Generous it's, anger, but also the absurdity. You know, the can you, you believe this shit? Yeah. Like that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, this is um, somebody talks about the uh, manipulation of him during McCarthy area. Um, he goes. Uh, if the book in itself, Animal Farm, had left any doubt of the matter, Orwell dispelled it in his essay, Why I Write. Every line of serious work that I've written since 1936 has been written directly or indirectly against totalitarianism. Dot, dot, dot. Um, and uh, this guy says, dot, dot, dot. The politics of ellipses. For democratic socialism is vaporized. You know? He goes, because I, I, the real quote is, I fought against totalitarianism and I fought in four... I fought for democratic socialism uh, as I know it. Ah. Uh, but it's just against totalitarianism is... Leave, the, yeah. And you're leaving out the democratic socialism because right. this is the McCarthy era. Right. But, you know, maybe the democratic socialists, socialists would leave out the as I know it part. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think possibly the most important thing is uh, uh, when we talk about uh, just stuff on... on, on um, the left, which is, um, uh, there's nothing more Orwellian than, than Donald Trump. Uh, stop yeah. the steal. Yeah. 
<laughs> it stopped the, 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 the emperor. The, it, the emperor's new clothes. Stop yeah. the steal. Uh, Pelosi said it for every go. She goes, guess what? He says I'm scared. He's scared. She's like, all he does is project, and it's been this way for years. And it's but, but it's the Republican Party. It's not, not even just Donald Trump. He just fit perfectly. Oh into no, that especially mantle. him. Yes, but that's what I mean. He fit perfectly onto that. But mantle. but the Republican Party never went so far as to say like stop the steal. Joe, yes. Bi- Joe Biden's stealing the election. They, they're saying that they're they, saying that now. They only did it because he did it first. Yeah. The, he he gave them license yes. to do what they always wanted to do. Yes, because he was yes. like the perfect avatar. The, of, no, yes. no, I don't even think they really want to go along with. It. They just didn't want to get. They didn't want to get primaried by Trump people. But right. now they're going along with it. They still don't want to get primaried by Trump people. But those that's the Republican All right, Party. But let's now. not get into semantics. Let me get on with the whole okay. thing. Okay. They're like Trump. They didn't try anything like. Hey, Hillary Clinton didn't win the election before this. No, but they did, you know, steal Florida. Yeah. Sure, sure, they, sure. There have been Benghazi hearings to reduce your numbers. Right, yeah. No, there's been underhanded things. This went a different way where it goes like, okay. Straight up Orwellian lying to your face. Yes. It, when we bring up the fake news articles, he just says. It's fake news. And we're talking about real fake news articles yeah. dispelled from, from Russia. Yeah. That got overshadowed by Trump saying a whole real. News network is fake news. Yes. That got overshadowed. Like, that is Orwellian. Yes. That's real Orwellianism, mm-hmm. where you go, like, you know, just misdirects and, and, and deliver. Like, and people, people have mischaracterized it as uh, <laughs> weaponizing the truth. And I go, like, no, the truth is inherently a weapon. Yeah. He's weaponized lies. Yes. He's wep- that was what he weaponized. Yeah. yeah. Shame- yeah. It's, the tr- shamelessness allows you to weaponize anything you want. Yes. Yeah. The truth is its own weapon, you know, that you can, you can, you know, use in different ways if, if right. you skew it. But the truth is always the truth. Yeah. Um, stop the steal. It was the t- continuation of what Pelosi said. It's like, you think, you yeah. think he's saying we're stealing? He's stealing. Yeah. He's the one with emails talking about fake electors. Yeah. Like, there's nothing more. Well, like, people don't know what the truth is anymore. Yeah. They don't know well, at and, all. And they just, it, there's, they don't want to. Like, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said, there, you, there's nothing you can say or show me that won't change my mind that it was Antifa who did January 6th. On the same day that Trump said January 6th was fake. On the same day that they have a banner at CPAC that says we're all domestic terrorists. Like, <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Pick one. Pick one. Yeah, no, it's the same thing as what uh, Taby said about... 9-11 conspiratory. It's like, pick, pick one, like narrow it yeah, down. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like, the, oh, the towers were never there to begin with. It's like, yeah. oh, it was, a contro- it was a controlled explosion. The whole thing was a hologram, blah, blah, like all this shit. You're like, suck my dick, all you idiots. No, oh, they're probably terrible at sucking uh, dick. But, selfish. so in, in so much as that, <laughs> Thank you. I, I think, um, uh, one of the most important things is, is just the stuff about, about uh, language. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote uh, Politics in the English Language, 1946. The importance, every, every writer still gets this, like at The Guardian. Mm. Like, it's like the first thing they're handed. And it's George Orwell's things where he goes, number one, never use a metaphor. <laughs> Simile or other figure of speech which you're used to seeing in print. Two, never use a long word where a short one will do. Three, if it's possible to cut a word out, always cut it out. Four, never use the passive where you can use the active. Five, Never use a foreign phrase, a scientific word, or a jargon word if you can think of an everyday English equivalent. Six, break any of these rules sooner than say anything outright barbarous. <laughs> mm. So, you know... Uh, barbarous. Barbarous, yeah, sorry. Uh, uh, Robert McComb, a literary editor at the Observer, said, even now it's quoted in our style book. Uh, his, uh, his criticism of slovenly language is still taken very seriously. Um... 
every new recruit, uh, David Astor gave a copy of it too. Um, and that's very much Noam Chomsky's tools too, mm. is like, if you're not trying to sound like one of the people, you're trying to get something over on them. Yes. Mm. And uh, he said something ab- about uh, basic... Uh, Basic language where he goes, as it's taught in schools. Mm, he goes, Chomsky? Uh, no, Orwell, uh-huh. where he said, um, it's it's just, the you know, um, if you can say, in basic language, uh, if you can say something meaningless, uh, it has to it has to be shown that it is meaningless. And he goes, it's no wonder that uh, academics and politicians hate it. <laughs> you know? Basically, like, it's like they just want language where they can get around shit. Right. Like, you know, like you can't tell the truth. Right. Because it's, you know, and which is funny too, because he's also saying with Newspeak that it can get so simple that it's, you know, the thought crime is, thought erra- cr- is yeah. eradicated. Yeah. Uh, if you take, you know. Well, the gun just went off. No one shot it. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A glass broke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> former roommate talk. Um, <laughs> passive speak, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I you know I didn't really dive into his life before. He's a guy like I said. I I'd written you know read everything he had ever written. Um, I do think it's fascinating, you know how he he goes around and you know is like a neurotic guy and tries to find himself, and then he's just thrust into this you know, you know twentieth century fucking calamity, and um, I believe he may have coined Cold War. No shit. Even before uh, Nagasaki. Huh. Talking about uh, an essay called You and the Atom Bomb. And he was saying, like, it could, you know, go to a thing where we just, like, eradicate civilizations or it could just leave us in a permanent state of a cold war. The the sort of Damocles hanging above your head, Mm. the constant threat. Which, of course, is what what ended up happening. Yeah. And by then, he's already so famous, too, that you go, like, shit. What else did he get right? Uh, like, yeah, yeah, like, um, and, uh, yeah, the left and the right still both taking from him, uh, yeah, it's, it's the ch- cherry picking of, you know, the, the, the deified figure. But also, where would he fall even when he died? What is he? Democratic socialist, I guess. Um, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Oh, it's like, you know, like, informing on other fucking, uh, people, like, uh, God, like, but it's a thing, too, where, like, yeah, like, the shit hit the fan, and it's like, well, it was all good and fun in Spain, and now the shit hit the fan, and, like... Now I'm back home, and, and, I'm, and I'm too and I'm, close to home. Yeah. And, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about that fishing in Orwell River. And, yeah. I, and I'm going, like, what way of life is going to change? And what, you know... And it's, like, immediately, him and his wife, it was, like, government offices. <laughs> Probably unthinkable to them a couple of years before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it just became a thing where you're like, oh, fuck, we're, like... Completely outmatched here by these, you know what I mean? Uh, like we're not for this. We are but we're against not that. For, yeah, we're like we're not de- like, or even like, our friends think like, oh, maybe this is good, you know, <laughs> like advancing communism. They're going like, ooh, no, 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 it is not. And that is total brutal totalitarianism, like by another name. Yeah, and also like he had the thing very out front, very fast of Lenin being like, well, my wife wants. Her, like the people want my wife to have a fur coat, right. that sort of shit. Right, like, it's, right, not, it's right. not Comrade Lennon. It's fucking like you're the boss. Yeah, you know. So that's shown in Animal Farm like immediately mm. so well. But it's funny thinking like, for a minute even that was taboo to put out. <laughs> you yeah. want to upset the apple cart? 
Yeah. Mm. Until you. And then it was like suddenly it was like imminently like we need go 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 we need animated cartoon strips in the paper, like. Because, yeah, they probably were, like you were saying, because of the austerity, especially, being like, could we fucking lose England to either of these ideologies still? Right, right. But then, you know, in the response to that, like, now you're banning people from making movies? What do you mean? I mean like, the blacklist in the United States, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, we can't have the communists. They're, they're going to... They're going to, like, make lists of people that they don't like. So let's make a list. Let's make a list of the people that are going to make the lists. we got to get ahead of them. Well, they were just all so scared, you know, because a lot of those people saw firsthand, you know, the the terror uh, and the carnage over there. That, like, I, un- I understand why so many people were scared of communism. Yeah. Uh, well, especially under Stalin, dude. Yes, that, and, and when I say communism, I mean Stalinist. Yes, Stalinist yes, Russia. Yes, yes. Um, but just the hypocrisy coming back of of doing, especially the, when we have the bomb and we're the only ones that dropped it. Yeah, it was, yeah. It but they like, were they were. They, I mean, they got it very soon. They got it by forty nine, forty nine, fifty one. They had and and you know that great um, Dan Carlin yeah episode about um should we give it to them yeah should we give it to them right. or should we nuke them off the face of the earth <laughs> right. before they get it yeah uh, if you talk to the generals you know which one and then it was yeah. a thing of like should we give it to the world yeah yeah like should everybody be able to have it like so we all keep each other in check right uh and that's it that's kind of a what happened to a degree is that like you know kids build nuclear reactors in their fucking basement yeah and it is this kind of cold it is the cold war that that orwell talked about of like well, now everybody's got to, you know, it's it's a it's a Mexican standoff. Yeah, yeah. You know, except if you're except Iran have, or, <laughs> except if it's Iran or you know one of the few countries that we don't let have it. Yeah, yeah. The funniest thing to me is like the one that speculated was like short range. Like I just want to do a little. Yeah, I want, little, little. I just, oh, you tactical. I, 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 yeah, I want to yeah. do a little nuclear. Yeah, tactical news. I just want to do a little. <laughs> I didn't do the little one. Yeah. I didn't do the bomb like Nagasaki. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I just bobbed, you know, uh, Linetsk or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Come on. I hit it. It's taste- tactical. It's, it's got a, a tasty one. freeze. Yeah. It's tactical. It's yeah. tasteful. Yeah. Tasteful. Tactical. Tasteful. It's coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, what did you guys think? Pretty uh, crazy. I had no yeah, idea that so he much- died so young. Yeah. 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 And his... Uh, his uh, Penchant for uh, farm work <laughs> totally makes sense. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, for real. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. He knew. It's like uh, geese. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> and I mean, real affection for it too. Like I said, like just the diary entries. Like they're just like, man, the fucking rabbits, the shit. Oh, fucking! I gotta kill. I love this rabbit, the rabbits. Man. Talking about like after he, you know, sold, uh, you know, the place where he had with with Sonia in Wallingford or whatever. It was like he was like, it's like I went back later and, he, and he's, he's like just seeing how big the rose bush that he planted had gotten and like. Oh, that's nice. Love yeah. shit like that. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I think like it was the thing where like he he had some stuff too where he talked about like you know England would be so great if he didn't have all this do not enter, do not trespass, stay off this grass, all that stuff. And he had this brilliant takedown. And he goes, but then it w- it wouldn't be England, would it? <laughs> like so, it was like this like love hate thing yeah. he has with England that's so strong. Well, they have that right of walking or whatever it is, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know what that is. Where you just like, you're not allowed to stop people from walking through fields. Oh, is that true? I believe so. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Well, I mean, like, 
I'm walking here. Yeah. He, he does a lot of like the, the stay off the grass, all that shit. Um, you gotta stay off pri- the grass, but pri- you gotta mind the gap. Private, peri- <laughs> like he, he was saying, I think he had, like a thing about cricket where he goes like, cricket's thought to be a snobby thing, but he goes to play a game, you gotta get like 25 people involved, so it's inherently social. <laughs> He's like the real snob game is golf, of yeah. course, where there's a, a giant field and a, only a two giant people yeah, play. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. ironically, golf was invented by fucking cheap, cheap herders. Yeah. And it becomes like the most snobbish game. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But they're like hitting each other islands and shit. Like well, they were hitting rocks, you know. It'd be amazing. Yeah, it's a pretty good time hitting rocks around, you know. Dude, batting a rock around. Oh my god, it's best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just I like that he was a really rough and tumble guy. Really mm-hmm. ready to fucking get shot. Get you know shot in the neck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, he tried to get himself arrested one time for drunk and disorderly behavior because he, he uh, felt it was important to go to jail, like Jamie Gillis said. Mm. Um, what a privilege. And uh, yeah, and uh, it was the thing where like, he probably saw like the mustache and like just he's a big old guy and they probably, you know, maybe heard some accent or something and they were like, eh, this guy doesn't belong no. in, in the clink. Oh, you he's a do, chef. You wouldn't do well here, pal. But yeah, he was, he was like, it was gonzo in that way of he was doing it for the essay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, really admire him. I, I, uh, I still think he's, um, you know, right about most things, mm. um, which is, he lived a lot of it. So yeah, just yeah. also like, just don't have an ideology. Just be like, understand right and wrong. Yeah. You know, it's a good show. Good show, yeah. John. Very good. Thank you, buddy. Very yeah. nice, John. You like that sort yes. of shit, man? Is that okay with you? <laughs> Dot dot dot. I brought, I brought up French shit. Oh no, de rigueur. Aldous Huxley. Yeah. Nelly Limousine. <laughs> Nelly Limousine. I believe that is a song. <laughs> Nelly Limousine. <laughs> no, it's a song Limousine by Nelly. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. fellas. I love you. Love Me you too. Aaron, we're gonna miss you while you're gone. I hope so. Yeah, yeah no, of course. I miss you guys. Yeah. I guess. Dot dot dot. I think. Man, I love you too, buddy. Love you too, John. Uh, Let's say goodnight. I'm John Fahey. I'm Aaron Pita. Good night, everybody. We love you. Good night. A podcast network.